Got your tickets for BP? Wakanda Forever? All right. All right. You, you want to get into that? Wait. Has it, it hasn't come out yet? I thought it came out last week. Did it not? Nah, it's dropping ah. this week. Why did I keep saying I thought it was going to... I thought they were like second weekend I mean, they were going to break the records. Isn't that the, isn't that the second weekend? Nah. I mean, they, they, I mean, they've been hyping it up for forever, though. Like, they did the... Uh, they did the you know the, obviously the the big Hollywood premiere and then they did the the ABC special and then you know they they, they did the cast and crew oh. screening of it the other night. You know it's just it's just it's just kind of building the momentum or the the hype for it. But they haven't you know they're gonna oh, release it. Oh, oh, oh. I saw some some article. Yeah, yeah okay. man, this is this is this is uh, opening weekend. Uh, I don't know why I thought it was like the second weekend. Maybe I just read, maybe I misread it. But yeah, you got you got tickets already. Both you guys have tickets. No. I got my ticket for tomorrow night. Okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Welcome to Issues on Issues, a weekly podcast series brought to you by the team at Brilliance, where we share our take on all aspects related to the graphic novel industry. We discuss and debate current events within the comic community and allegorical themes illustrated in various creative works. In Issues of Interest, we discuss Fear Itself by Matt Fraction. What happens when the superheroes move into the neighborhood? Are you staying or are you moving? We review Batman number 125 by Chip Zdarsky and explore why Batman is the Elizabeth Warren of superheroes. We also cover Luther by Brian Azzarello, where we get a different perspective on Luther. Perhaps he's not really the bad guy we've been led to believe. For our main theme, we deep dive into Miss Marvel and talk about some of the diversity moves Marvel is making. But first, we discuss current events, including the new Wakanda Forever podcast, new casting for Sony's Spider-Verse sequel, the upcoming Star Wars series called The Acolyte, and we hop in our way, way back machine and recall the classic Transformers 1986 movie. Please be advised that our conversations may contain spoilers of the works discussed. Stick with us for more right after this quick commercial break. Comic book creators, revolutionize your platform, supercharge your value, engage your fans like never before. Welcome to Brilliance. Current e-publishing models limit your access to readers, impose pricing restrictions, and offer tiny royalties. Brilliance is a new e-publishing platform. At Brilliance, crowdfund concepts, connect with your readers, set your prices, and enjoy royalties that endure. Let's establish this new paradigm together. Learn more at Brilliance.io. That's Brilliance.io. Sign up today to publish for free. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Britt. Tell me what's going on with Black Panther. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to go see it. I got my ticket for like 11.30 p.m. Uh, you know, so I'm going to be super late. As far as I've seen, there's only like four other people in the theater. What? That's reserved seats. Yeah, yeah. So I got my seat already, you know, dead center. Nice. Middle of the, of the theater. And, um, you know, hopefully I can stay awake for it because <laughs> I know it's going to be kind of late. But, yeah. I mean, I'm there. I'm in the house. Yeah, that's what's up. So so are you wearing all white? I, I, there's a rumor going around. or I, I've heard 
that uh, people are wearing all white to the to the show. Have you heard that? No, I mean, I mean, I have my White Lives Matter shirt. Should I wear that? <laughs> uh, nice, 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 nice. Nah, nah, uh, nah man, I, I don't think I'm gonna. I, I don't know what that rumor is. I I think I'm gonna disregard all rumors. Okay. Well, last time you got all dressed up, you got, you got, um, you know, you got dressed up, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I saw it twice. So the first time I saw it, I, I did kind of like I did this time where I went to a real late show. And then the next day I got dressed up and then we went out and, and did it big, um, for the culture. And we actually, and we, we actually went to the, um, to the theater down like in Compton just so we could get like, you know, the full black experience. The full, yeah, the full. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Nice. Or, 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 or I say uh, Inglewood, yes, yeah, so, but even still, yes. Long Beach, Inglewood? Yeah. Yeah, of um, yeah, course, I was going to holler at you, see if you were, um, what your plans were for the weekend, see if we could uh, get away. You know, it's going to be a late night thing. I probably, nah, I won't fall asleep, but it would probably be late if I ever, if I, if I can make it out, it would be late. But, you know, I don't really go to movies, but I, I'm trying to make an exception for this one. But I definitely, I definitely want to go, want to, experience it in the theaters because i was like yeah. man we're gonna have to talk about this right i can't i can't wait until this comes on disney plus so so we have to talk about this yeah if you can make it to sunday man i mean I'll, i'm down all right you know? we'll see we'll see what i can do if you want to see it your second time with me my first time on sunday i'm cool with that too just sit <laughs> a couple seats away because you know i know you get excited before the scene happens and i'm gonna be mad yeah i have to make sure nobody takes out their phone i have to go down there and break it if i see somebody uh, anyway <laughs> But yeah, man, I'm excited. You know, they, they're doing a good job with the with the um, promotions. You know, they had your uh, special that uh, you were talking about, Britt. What did you, you think of that? Oh, man, you know, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I actually didn't get a chance to catch it. <laughs> I hyped it up so hard. I, yeah, nah, busy. Um, That's but right. I, I, you know, I have it on DVR. I got to go ahead. Or it's on Hulu now, too, so... For those who are like me, who were excited to watch it but didn't get a chance, it's out there. Um, but yeah, no, I'll probably watch it maybe before I go to the theater, just so I can get the full kind of like experience going in. Yeah, gotcha. But uh, yeah, for sure. You know, what about the podcast? I, I, I shared that podcast with you guys. Anybody get a chance to listen to that? No, I haven't listened to it. Ah, uh, man. So, um, so also in I guess preparation for this Wakanda Forever film, Tennessee Coates um, put together a podcast series, and they dropped the first episode, at, you know, as a promotion prior to the release of the, the movie, and uh, the rest the rest of the episodes are going to be dropped in the new year. But it was great, and it's getting a lot of um, recommendations. People are saying listen to it. I really enjoyed it, man. It, it was like, you know. You know, I like Tanahasi Coates. I like his writing. Um, he, he's like a year older than my brother. Yeah. And um, you know, and then you got Kugler, uh, who's like the age of one of my cousins. And uh, just listening to the two of them having a conversation, it just it just feels it feels like I'm listening to a conversation of like friends or, or family. You know, these are these are guys that you know, particularly like Tanahasi Coates. You know. When, when you read some of the books, you know, he talks about like Transformers just in like in just the way he goes about telling his his story. And he brings in like these comic characters in, in some of the other stories that he that he that he writes. And it's like, you know, when I listen to it, it's like he, 
I get him. It's like he could be like a friend of mine or a, or like my, a brother or, or a family member or a friend or some cousin or something like that. It, it just feels really close to home, the stories and, and his perspective on things. And just hearing the two of them talk, it, it just felt really good just um, just listening to, you know, two, two men that are at the top of their game for the most part, you know, and that are pretty much our age doing their thing. So I really enjoyed it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean – Tanahasi, uh the world in me was an amazing book. I mean, he's like considered, you know, one of the few like author laureates. Is that what it is? Or he's like kind of like uh oh he or he was he was given the uh the genius uh scholarship grant award or something like that. Okay. I forget what it was the MacArthur genius. Oh uh, yeah, I think he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean Tanahasi, super accomplished dude, man. You know what I'm saying? He he even gets up there and speaks in front of Congress when they talk about like when they were doing the commission to see if they were going to have a commission to see if they were thinking <laughs> about a commission for reparations. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he was there, you know. I th- I think he's I think he's a very accomplished, great writer, great kind of uh, historian of American uh, culture. But uh, I've read his run on Black Panther. And I I probably would prefer him to stick to prose writing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, novel writing. Um, but I mean, I would love to sit down in a room and talk with these guys. You know, um, I mean, I, again, I have a lot of feelings about the way Black Panther kind of shows up in the MCU. Um, so uh, having like a chance to maybe get an alt- unadulterated. Uh, thought or cohesive uh, kind of idea of what these two men think Black Panther is sounds like an amazing, amazing thing to witness or to be a part of or to, to listen to. Um, yeah. You got to, you got to listen to that podcast, man. I yeah, think- it, it does. I, I just, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I would probably have notes or I probably would have, you know, disagreements along the way. And uh, I, I guess I'm just really just mentally preparing myself for when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, they, they definitely uh, pay respects to um, you know Priest and and everybody else that that wrote the the pivotal version of Black Panther that that you do like. You know, um, was it Ronald Hudson? How do you say his name? Reginald Hudlin. Reginald Hudlin. Yeah. Um, you know, they they definitely do recognize them as being the the the, the people that created the the Black Panther that um, people know and love, and they it looks like they intentionally chose to go in a different direction. Um, and, you know, they, they talk about it a little bit. So I think, you know, I definitely res- respect um, the fact that they, they put in the work, it definitely put in the work um, and, and just the attitude on how they approached the, the making of the film, you know, and the role, the role that Chadwick Boseman had in the, in the creation of Black Panther for the MCU. And they were talking about how, you know, he, he was cast for civil war and he was, you know, just kind of like an Black Panther was not really a main character and how he fought to personify this, this character in a certain light. And as a result, he kind of stole, stole the shine from, from other characters, which led to um, Black Panther having its own, uh, film and um, just 
you know, they, they, they talk a lot about, you know, how they developed it and how Chadwick Boseman was so influential in the development of the character. So it was really yeah. a great episode. I, I highly recommend uh, everybody listening to check it out. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, man. Chadwick did a great job uh, in developing the character. Specifically, I remember him uh, talking about when he developed the accent and he mm-hmm. kind of took parts of it from, you know, different languages uh, you know, I think he the base of it was South African, but he had like Nigerian hints and other things because he really wanted to kind of create a pan African uh, accent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, and again, Chadwick is an amazing, or or you know, he was an amazing, amazing artist, and he you know didn't skimp or 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 take shortcuts. You know, he he did a full character uh, mock up. And he knew what he was going to do before he walked in. It wasn't like he was winging it. You know, he he came in prepared. Uh, and I love that. Yeah, yeah. They, they talked to that a little bit about, about you know, uh, Ryan Coogler's talking about, you know, he was like 26 when he was doing it. And uh, and Bozeman was already in his, in his 40s. And, you know, he comes in, like you, like you said, he comes in with a lot of experience, um, African culture, uh knowledge and 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 acting knowledge and he's he was he was like they would have sessions where they sit down and and Kugler would have to bring like a pen and pad just you know he's like you're gonna you're gonna be here for a while we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna break things down and figure out how to approach things it was, it was really it was great it was it was a great interview and conversation so yeah 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 man that's dope man i i love to hear that type of stuff uh one thing i'll say about uh chadwick his last performance was a movie called the bridge which was actually produced by the Russo brothers who were the directors of, you know, civil war and, you know, infinity war and Endgame. Yep. And, um, I would have loved to have seen him with them because, you know, uh, again, he broke out in civil war and he was like one of the highlights of that movie. And, uh, I would have loved to have seen, uh, what like, a Russo brothers, black Panther would have looked like. You know what I'm saying? Not to say, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't want to take the, the shine away from the black man, <laughs> Ryan Coogler, but I yeah, do feel like the thing, Russo right? brothers. I, 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 th- I think the Russo brothers did a really great job with the character. Yeah. Well, um, kind of changing topics a little bit with the Black Panther, you know, we, we have some some um, some of the, the talent from Black Panther. Uh, how do you say his name, Britt? Daniel Kaluuya? Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's he's taking on another role within the well, it's not really the MCU. It's kind of the Sony Sony slash MCU verse um with regards to um the the new uh Sp- Spider-Verse film. You guys wear that? Yeah, so uh is it the the new Miles Morales into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 cuz uh I they announced Issa Rae is going to be the voice of Madam Web, I want to say. And and I'm not sure who uh, Daniel Kaluuya is going to play, but you know, I mean, they have really great voices. Uh, the the original Into the Spider Verse that came out, I want to say a couple years ago, uh, had voices like Brian Tyree Henry, who played his father, and uh, Marshara, excuse me, Marshala Ali, who played uh, his uncle, who was like the actually mm-hmm. one of the bad guys in the yeah, movie. So I mean, yeah. they always, I feel like you know, Marvel uh, animation always comes through with vocal talent 
Yeah, I think Issa Rae is going to be Spider Woman, actually. Um, oh, Spider Woman. I don't. Yeah, I don't know why I thought Madam Web. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and Kluya uh, is going to be um, like Spider Punk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it should, should be pretty good. The first one was dope, so uh, I'm looking forward to that one too. You know, I love my animated films. So. Yeah, I will say this: uh, Into the Spider Verse was a masterpiece. You know, it it introduced Miles perfectly. Um, you know, it was a great um, homage to Peter Parker and a great way to pass the torch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, not only that though, but like the the style of it, they really paid uh, tribute to the to hip-hop. the like you know yeah hip hop and the New York City scene. Like you know, mm-hmm. they had they showed Miles doing graffiti. They showed Miles, you know, making his own suit, you know, and actually graffitiing it up, you know. Uh, so you know. I think they did a great job with that. And I mean, I can't wait to see the sequel to that. I, I am genuinely, when I say I'm excited for a sequel, that's what I'm really excited for. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. Chris, did you see the first one? You're talking about Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, I definitely saw it. I've actually watched it recently. Um, it's one of my favorite movies as well. I mean, I, I, I think Britt nailed it. Um, as far as like his description, I thought it was, it's, it's an awesome movie, especially like the graffiti. I mean, they, they tied in a lot of just, just interesting spots, parts that made Miles like his own character, which I really appreciate it. You know, yeah, he's because he's not just like a black Peter Parker. He has his own story. He has his right. own problems. You know, what I'm saying he has his own like arc, and uh, you know they did a great job. You know, introducing him through that. You know, through that movie. Yeah, and he and he had his own style. Like you know, like he just did it differently. He web slings differently. He jumps off buildings differently. You know, it's just he's just different, and I and I appreciate that because I think that um there is always like this this idea of kind of sticking to Spider Man and making him kind of very similar, but they did make some key differences that gave him some individuality. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, I was wondering because Spider Man is big. When you when you see the kids everywhere, everybody is Spider Man. And I was wondering, I was like, you know, wow, it wasn't like that. I mean, Spider Man was cool when, when we were growing up, but he wasn't the the man. You know, I think when, when we were kids, I think it was more. Yeah, he kind of was. He kind of was. I yeah, feel like it was Batman. Batman, Superman. Spider Man's up there. He's top. I don't know. I'll say this, you know, when it comes to merchandising and sales and, you know, like how, how we track or the metrics that we use to track who's the most popular character, mm-hmm. it's, it's Spider-Man by a wide margin, followed by Batman in the close second and everybody else is just, you know. I mean, that, that's now, but was it, was it that way when we were kids? I am. I, I, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, cause it's really? always been that way, to be honest with you. It's, it's kind of um, standard. Because I was coming up with a theory that, you know, because um, Sony owns the rights to movie productions, I was wondering if Marvel and Disney were pushing other, you know, merchandising and things like that, because they still own all of that. So this is their way of recouping some of the the IP that they lost in in that transaction, because you see Spider-Man everywhere, you know, so I was wondering, but, you know, hey. Maybe that's just always I mean, in terms of characters. Now, I'll say this. Obviously, when we were kids, like one of the big movie events, what I think was like Batman. Yeah. So I and, and and that was like a really huge event. I feel like if comic book movies were big back then, if Spider-Man were to come out back then, I feel like uh, 
you would you would notice it no more. I feel like we it, again we just it was uh, Batman was just so much in our zeitgeist, you know, and and uh, and the first real live action comic book movies were kind of like you know the DC movies, like you know the Superman Donner movies. Exactly. That's what a deal. And then also, I, I, I get why you think that, but I mean, but uh, but to be honest with you, Spider Man has always kind of been the king in terms yeah. of popularity of characters. He's he's also more relatable, right? I mean, if you well, think that's about why he was designed. He was designed for that specific purpose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it worked, right? I mean, like he's also more of a, closer to the age of kids than like maybe Superman and Batman, right? They're like adults, and Spider Man's like in school. And I, I I think I just thought that like a lot of people could envision themselves. As Spider Man, I thought Spider Man was like the biggest thing in the world when I was a kid. Yeah. As far as like superheroes were concerned, it was super popular. Yeah, it was. There was there was a few like cartoons that that were popular when I was kids when we, when we were kids. Um, you know, there was Spider Man, but to me that wasn't the the, the top one. It, you know, there was X Men and there were Transformers. You know, you know. So to me, those those were the the, the turtles. Uh, what you say? And turtles and teenage mutant they, they were they were they were definitely up there too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Chris, you you had something you were talking about with the transformers. Oh, like, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we could talk about it. Yeah, so you know, since we're sharing news, I I came across an article that was talking about the 1980s Transformers movie and um, how they got it wrong, right? Where they broke like a, a cardinal rule by by killing off major characters now i personally remember watching this and i don't know if you guys remember it too but you know joff we saw this together i don't Did know if you, you guys remember see it no man yo <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think i think i think joffrey's mom brought us to the theater we were both like five or six years old oh man so the article was talking about how kids walked away just shook like how their favorite characters die in a cartoon movie right no one expected that i mean obviously we know optimus dies but do you guys remember? I'm just gonna. Do you guys remember Prowl, the police officer? Yeah, he was a police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember his death scene? No, nah, but I it mean, was horrifying, man. They shot him in his chest, and then fire and smoke came out of his mouth and eyes as he died. That sounds vaguely familiar. Wow, I mean, that that stuck in my head. I was like, that you know, everybody like a lot of people died. Ratchet died, and you know, Optimus oh, died, no. and a few other minor characters died, but like. I had never seen anybody get shot in their chest and then fire come out their mouth. As a kid, I was like, "Oh, like he he really he really is dead." Now, now, now remind me, this is the one where uh, what's it called? Uh, Hot Rod becomes Rodimus Prime. Is That's the whole. Mm-hmm. That was the whole point. Well, yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. let me let me go back. This came out. In the, do, you, do you ever guys watch that show, The Toys That We Grew Up With, or something like The Toys That Made Us? Mm-hmm. On Netflix, okay. yeah, Netflix. They talk about Transformers as like you know a lot of these He Man. Transformers. There were the, the the toys, the cartoons, and the comic books existed to market the toys. Mm-hmm. And with Transformers, it was like this push, like, "Hey, we got new Transformers, Rodimus Prime." So let's let's introduce these new characters. But it didn't, you know, it didn't it didn't work that way, right? People were just kind of like hurt that their favorite characters died in the movie. But yeah, that is right, Joffrey. That's what they they introduced Rodimus, Hot Rod, Rodimus Prime. And we, we all thought it was going to be uh, who, who Ultra who? Magnus. Ultra Magnus. Right, Ultra Magnus yeah. What happened with that? It was just like, no, nah, it was Hot Rod. Hot Rod was the chosen one. And man, yeah, that that was that was a that was a big movie to be putting on kids right. <laughs> five years old, man. Right, right. First of all, Ultra Magnus was brand new when uh-huh. that movie came out. Like we didn't, I didn't know who Ultra Magnus was before 
that movie came out. And I'm pretty sure we, we between me and Josh, we had every Transformer. We had every Transformer. <laughs> like, we were sure. hardcore. Who was, your, who was your favorite? Who was your favorite? Like just your your favorite Autobot, your favorite Decepticon. Man, you know, wow, there's so I, many though. That's tough. Yeah, you know who I, I you know who I always love when he came on? Shockwave. Grimlock. Grimlock. <laughs> <laughs> me, Grimlock, and me just badass. I don't care. I don't just just stomp on people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's one of my favorite Autobots. Right. Yeah, the Dinobots would be on the good guys, the bad guys, they go back and forth. Right, right. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um I'm trying to think. Favorite Decepticon? Um, there were some good ones. I mean, I I was, I was all cool. Like Brit, I mean, like I was I was gonna be the Autobots because I want to be good. And Brit had all the Decepticons, but Decepticons were all cool. They had the cool colors. They were like purple yeah. and green and black, and, yeah. you know. Yeah. And they turned into all these different kind of things, like bugs and all these different types of. And mine were just like cars and trucks. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, look, look, my favorite Decepticon was Soundwave. I I, I kind of felt like he had that deep voice. It kind of felt like he might have been a little bit. He had that auto tune. I don't know about he had a, a deep voice. He was auto tune. He was he was T Pain before T Pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I liked all the um the group ones, you know, like the the. Um, yeah, the aerial bots, constructicons, the um, aerial bots. Yeah, you know, all of them. I the stunticons were the, the actual cars for the decepticons. Um, yeah, there was some yeah. cool ones. There was nothing like transformers. Man. Yeah, man. They yeah. still make them, right? I mean, they still they still make them to this day. Like, the, I mean, the ones we had, they were made out like metal. I mean, they mm-hmm. were built to last. Are, are they still making them like that, or are they made differently? No, they got them in plastic. Plastic now. Yeah, but I mean, they're still making TV shows, so there's a whole bunch of you know Transformers lore that just continues to go on and on. They've they've done Beast Wars, they've done um, what was the other one where they did uh, Cybertron? There's just a whole bunch yeah. of Transformers lore that's still out there. That that one around Cybertron, the War for Cybertron, I think it's called. It paints a different story between the two groups, kind of like as if like the Decepticons were kind of just running a a stable society and the Autobots were kind of a um a, a um a religious group that were um like maybe a little bit rebellious and disrupting the the, the norm. It's just it's just told from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah man. You got if you got if you know which one that is, please share it. I'm I'm curious to know. It's Netflix. It's called War for Cybertron. I wonder if that's yeah. the one I've seen. I've seen one of them recently. I'm trying to, I don't remember which one that was. So, which one was the one where where um, uh, Bumblebee became Gold uh, uh, Goldbug? Remember that? That happens. I want to say on the TV show that didn't happen in the movie. I, I don't okay. think. Okay. Man, because because the way Transformers was because from what I understand, I, I I slightly looked into this, but it was a while back. But I feel like they did one season of the TV show Transformers. Or they did two seasons, and then they did the movie, and then the third they did one last season where everything was different, and I think that's when they changed uh, Bumblebee to Goldbug. Gotcha. Okay. Everything like that, but then I, I think, like Chris was saying, it all went downhill. Like I don't, you know, to be honest with you, like as much as I loved Transformers the movie, I wasn't really a big fan of like 
some of the new characters that came out of it. Like, you know, um, like the Decepticons were pretty cool. Like Psychonus and the Swoops were pretty cool, mm-hmm. it, you know. But I mean, they didn't look like planes or anything. They looked like weird, yeah. like boats. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So yeah. They were kind of clunky, uh, you know. Uh, you know. So there was, you know, there was things that came out of the movie that I feel like if you were a fan, hardcore fan of the original Transformers, that uh, some of that retconning, some of that stuff that changed, you know, I could see how it sunk the show or it sunk some of the enthusiasm. Have, has any of you guys have any of you guys read the graphic novels? Yeah, yeah. I heard they were really though. good. I heard they were really like good. Yeah, good. I never read one though. You recommend okay. them, Chris? Yeah, I do. I think they're good, man. They're they're, they're gritty. They're like the um, right here. They're like the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You yeah. know when they're like thin. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're like the the um. Where they all wore red, mm-hmm. and they have like uh, yeah, they, they yeah. have like like bigger heads, but thin thin necks, and kind of like they look more like turtles instead of like steroided turtles. <laughs> um, you know, they're they're not muscular. Yeah, it's it's gritty like those. Yeah. All right, all right. I'll put that on my list. Yeah, they're making big changes with some of these big franchises, and another one that I'm really excited about that I actually I, I might have mentioned before that I think um, is going to um, usurp. MCU is Star Wars, man. Like I'm just loving what they're doing with, you know, I, I'm caught up to date with Andor. I don't know if you guys are reading mm. or watching Andor or Andor uh, Tale, Tales of the Jedi. Um, it is. It Tales is of the Jedi. Yeah, it was a big man, deal too. I am, I'm just loving it. I'm loving how they're building out this universe. Ah, man, it's, it's great. So, and it, it's a fresh, it's a, what's the word I want to say? You know, it's more, it's more, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a break from you know the MCU and some like comic book type you know superhero stuff. It's more uh, like a palate like, cleanser. Yeah, yeah, and it's just great. I'm loving it. Have, have you guys watched any? Well, yeah, man. Now, um, I I didn't watch the latest episode of Andor, but um, I'm caught up through the one through last week and then i also watched a couple of episodes of the tales of the jedi and uh in in terms of new media popularity i saw uh, a a stat or somewhere uh, a a graph showing that other than house of dragon the next two things are tales of the jedi and then andor so star wars right now is really bubbling to the surface and then not only that though and this is my piece of news i want to talk about they just went into production of a new show called the acolyte um, and basically that's going to take place at the end of the New Republic era of Star Wars, kind of like when the dark side is first starting to creep in and take over. Uh, and it's going to follow a young Padawan and her Jedi master. And uh, they're basically solving crimes that eventually lead them to uh, a really big ultimate source of evil. Um, and uh the thing that really got me excited to talk about this is the cast because they've announced a lot of the cast, maybe not who they're going to be, but people who are going to appear in it. And uh, I'm just going to rattle off a couple of names. Um, Amanda Steinberg. Are you guys familiar with her? I don't know people's names. What, what, what right, did she, she was in, She was in that movie, The Hate You Give, but she also wrote and uh, produced her own comic book called Niobe. Okay. So, you know, she's really into geek culture. She's she's a really, you know, dope uh 
dope individual. Uh, so check her out. Um, Definitely. Then uh, Lee Jung Jae from Squid Game is going to be in this. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Daphne Keen, who in this article they mentioned he she was in his Dark Materials. But do you guys remember Daphne Keen from Wolverine? Logan. She played X twenty three. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, she grew up. Yeah. Okay. So she's All she's right. gonna be in this. Um and uh, in addition to uh Jody Turner Smith, who was in Queen and Slim. Um and then uh, a couple other people that I and Carrie Ann Moss, who do you guys remember Carrie Ann Moss? Who's the Carrie original Moss? Trinity from the oh, Matrix. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Wait, wait, uh, original. Were there there's more than one Trinity? Well, I mean, obviously that new movie sucked. Yeah. But uh yeah, but the Trinity from Matrix movies. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. so I was like, I'm like, I would love to see Carrie Ann Moss as a Jedi. That sounds dope to me. Uh, or right even maybe alley. as an Inquisitor, maybe like, you know, a dark, a dark force wielder. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the guy from Squid Game is just an amazing actor. He does such funny and, and such serious and like sad things on screen. And again, Daphne Keene, who I'm really excited about, and Amanda Steinberg. Yeah, that sounds like a great cast. Yeah. Yeah, man. So what do you guys think? I mean, obviously, again, Joffrey, you mentioned that Star Wars is kind of killing it right now. Um, you know, like, what are you excited for in terms of the future of Star Wars? Maybe what's something you might want to see uh, in the future? Well, I actually like, like, like take Andor, for example. Like, I, we haven't seen a single Jedi, right, in Andor yet. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Thank God. It's it's so cool, so refreshing that that they they're showing like the regular people in this world, and you know, as heroes are fighting, you know, the rebellion and and revolting. I just I really like that, and you know, so I like to see more of that. You know, yeah, man. I, I feel like when you, you know, when you're not, you know, saturated with Jedi. You realize how special it is to be a Jedi. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, And then not only that, though, but you see, like, you know, the oppression and the things that people are going through when they're dealing with this really evil, looming uh, empire that's, you know, just infecting everybody's life. And, you know, you really get to see, like, the downside of it. Because I feel like whenever Jedi's around, you always see the shiny, bright side of it, you know, until you get to a new hope. At which point, you know, obviously, all the Jedi are on the run, and you know, so Obi Wan's so living in the seen, desert. I haven't seen Andor. What is what is the basic premise of the story? Uh, ha- have you seen uh, Rogue One? Rogue One, yeah. Have you seen Rogue One? Yeah, I've seen Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the character Cassian Andor it, it follows him. You know, one of the guys that was uh, trying to get the Death Star plans to the mm-hmm. Rebellion. I remember, and it basically follows him. I want to say what is it, five or ten years before that movie and, like, kind of what turned him to the Rebellion. And it, and it, and it really is kind of like uh, a cliff notes to how the Rebellion actually became uh, a one, a singular unified force to combat the uh, Empire. Okay. All right, yeah, I'm going to check it out. I see, I see it in my uh, Disney queue, so I'll check it out. The just- Rogue One, that was the one where they were trying to get the Wi-Fi up, right? I mean, that's basically the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> so they could send the signal. Yeah. So, they, yeah, exactly. essentially, yeah. But, but think about how cool that is. And it just shows how much that they can do. Um, 
and and, and my, tip my hat to John Favreau for for taking taking the helm of, and Dave Filoni. Okay, and taking the helm of of the Star Wars franchise and really building it out the way they are doing it. You know, he he he's he, a founder of the MCU and he's he's bringing it to the uh, Star Wars. And I'm, I'm just and Dave it. Filoni. Don't forget him. He actually created the whole tales of Star Wars. Okay. Uh, thing he and Dave Filoni is actually a director for all of Clone Wars and all of uh, I want to say uh, Star Wars Rebels. He's just as much as is a part of shaping this universe as you know Favreau. Okay, okay. Well, um... <laughs> <laughs> nah, just don't. You know, here's the thing. Dude, I just want to give props where props are due. That's all I'm saying. I appreciate that. Um, but what was I going to say? Man, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, oh, the just the the fact that. I believe the concept of Rogue One just just came out of like one line from the actual Star Wars movie, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they built the whole movie around that one little aspect. And then you now you're taking one character from that that movie based on one line and building a whole series out of it. So that just shows you just the potential of all the different, you know, possibilities that they can go into with um, this universe. And when you look at uh, Tales of the Jedi. Really, they're just focusing on on the the lineage of of one. You know, you got like Count Dooku who trained Egon, uh, mm-hmm. who trained yeah. Obi Wan, who trained mm-hmm. um, Anakin, uh, Anakin, who who, who trained you know, who trained Ahsoka. Ahsoka, exactly. So it's all that one lineage. But there's plenty of Jedi. What what about you know just looking at some of the other uh, Jedi lineage? I, I'd be curious to see some of that. You know, so. Anyway, well, that's the cool part, right? When they write, when they build these huge worlds, there's so much they can explore, right? I mean, I think that's the same thing they're doing with um, with um, Game of Thrones too, right? I mean, it's so expansive that they're starting to like, you know, all the spinoffs are are developing characters or developing storylines or plot lines that you know were mentioned but not necessarily focuses before. Yeah, I heard something about they're doing a, a Jon Snow. Uh, yeah, storyline. Yeah. yeah, I yeah I heard that. Uh, Kit Harrington is very interested in doing that because he, like, I want to say the end of the actual series of Game of Thrones actually threw him into a really, like, deep depression <laughs> where he was, seriously, though, he talks about it, he was, like, just really he hated the ending. And well, he like did. Or he, he had no more work or, like, he was done with the project? I, I, or? I, I feel like he thought this was the character of a lifetime. Like, all actors want this, the character that's going to, like, you know, provolt them into, like, you know, superstardom. And this is definitely that character for him, but he felt like it didn't get the proper send off, so he kind of went out with a whimper. Mm. And mm. and he and I feel like he kind of felt like you know he, this was that role, and he he wanted to go out with a bang, and it kind of went out. Do you it's feel really like weak. his? You feel like his character fully evolved? I feel like it was just starting to. He was just starting to come into his own, figure himself out. What do you think? I feel like they didn't allow him to 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 to. To see it to the end, like his job was to kill the Night King, you know, mm-hmm. and and they didn't allow him to to fully realize his arc. So of course he seems like an incomplete character. You know what I mean? Mm. Did, did they finish the books? Did the books are the books done? Nah, they're still. So he the, so the story really hasn't officially ended. You know, HBO ended it, but yeah right. george R. R. martin has not uh finished the books yet i mean he keeps saying he's 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 almost done but you know <laughs> i think he's i think he's just happy with life the way it is right now <laughs> yeah yeah you know 
Because I mean, here's the thing: like, I feel like him writing an ending, he can only lose, right? Because once he writes the ending, then it's over, and he's and he's not relevant anymore. And if he writes the ending and it's bad, like, and it's worse than Game of Thrones actually was, that's a that's a loss. Excuse me, a loss too. So I mean, you know, I feel like he's fine just leaving it in limbo. Yeah. Well, he does have the benefit of seeing how. Game of Thrones ended on HBO, so he can at least avoid that <laughs> catastrophe. But yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I think he, because I think I was, you know, watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, and they were talking about how they got the gig and how they kind of impressed him enough to, you know, take on the writers. That being uh, DB Weiss and uh, what's the guy's name again? Uh, DB Weiss and. Uh, I forget the other creator. Um, but uh, they uh, they basically guessed Jon Snow's lineage and his where who his mother was, and that kind of got them the gig. And oh, wow. then um, from there, you know, I guess that George just trusted them with the IP, and uh, you know, as we can see, that was that was a bad choice. I mean, they, they 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 did well initially, and then they got sidetracked with what was it? Was it Marvel? Marvel took their no, day. no. So they they basically because they did well until the book till the material ran out, yeah. and then once the material ran out, they they didn't know what they were doing, and uh, yeah, and they had been tapped to uh, direct one of the new Star Wars movies, um, but because the way Game of Thrones ended, you know, so terribly that they actually lost that gig off. Of is that, that so. is that right? How about that? How about yes. That? But they, they, oh, wow. So they got no credit for all those successful seasons of Game of Thrones. Basically, they're just like, ah, you're just following no, they, a, a, a script. They get credit for show running, you know, seasons one through five. Now, I'm not saying from, I'm not saying like us. I'm just saying like, you're saying they lost a gig. I'm like, man, they had a lot of, like, they did a lot of work up until that point, you know, and then just to end up, I mean, here's the thing. Lose a gig. They're good showrunners, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask them to create a storyline. For me, you know what I'm saying? If you yeah. gave them source material, I feel like they can develop it into a show, but I wouldn't ask them to create source material on their own. Yeah. And I think that's what they were really heavily leaning in. I think they were really wanting them to do that. And, you know, we see how that turned out. Yeah. The ice dragon was cool. <laughs> it was. That 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 because that was like that was the last episode i want to say of season six right where they they pulled the dragon out of the lake yeah that, mm-hmm. was, that was them right they did that right that's not in the book right or is it in the book no that, that was that was not they that at that point the the, 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 the books had stopped yeah, yeah so. okay that's all i got <laughs> <laughs> man good stuff guys good stuff there's never been anything like this Hello and welcome to the Highly Minded Podcast. We always say that low minds talk about people, average minds talk about events, and high minds talk about ideas. We talk about it all. Yeah. You already know. Available now on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of your other favorite podcast platforms. I'm excited to talk about this one. Um, there's a lot of uh, news coming out. Um, it is Miss Marvel, 
no normal. Britt, this was something that, that you found for us. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give us an intro? All right. Well, if you aren't familiar with Miss Marvel now, get ready to be introduced to her because uh, Disney Plus and Marvel Studios just dropped the new series, uh, Miss Marvel, with the first episode being called Generation Y. And basically, it follows the journey of a young Muslim Pakistani-American girl who finds herself developing superpowers. And it's, it's a really great story because the main protagonist, her name is Kamala Khan. Kamala is actually a super huge fangirl of the Avengers and all the superheroes that are out there in the Marvel Universe. So she spends a lot of her time daydreaming and creating fanfics. Uh, in, in the book, she writes, you know, fan fiction that's actually trending on the internet. <laughs> but on the TV show, she does like these YouTube like complex clips of, of retellings of of the big battles. Uh, on on the TV show, she actually does a recreation of the battle versus Thanos in Endgame, which is really cool. Uh, but she's a really great character because she gives us a look at people who don't necessarily get a chance to be superheroes people who are considered otherized or, or out of place for just being who they are. And she finds her place in the universe by developing her powers and, and leaning into who she is rather than trying to be something that she isn't. And I think it's a really great story for young girls these days that, you know, you don't have to be something you're not. You don't have to try to fit in or, or go with the trends. You can just be who you are. And whether maybe your family doesn't understand you or maybe your your classmates or maybe the world just doesn't understand who you are, as long as you're solid with who you are, you can be a superhero. You can go beyond who you thought you could be. And I, I just I just love this story. I love this character. She's amazing. She's gonna figure in very, very uh, prominently into the future of Marvel and the future of uh, the MCU. And, you know, I, again, her character is, uh, we were talking about uh, being the other, okay. being an outsider. Yeah, she, I mean, she's a great example of an outsider who is feeling very down about who she is because she doesn't reflect what her immediate world deems as as important she she doesn't look like the 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 superheroes that she is fantasizing about every day and for her to be not that and to, and to discover her power from just being herself is is just a really great theme I feel like. yeah i think it's you know it's it's one of those um very popular uh themes that that come about you know the coming of age or you know, dealing with puberty, um, you know, the teenagers, the young teens trying to figure out who they are, trying to have friends and be popular as, as you go through puberty. And, you know, you could easily see the, the, uh, the symbolism of, you know, obtaining superpowers as, you know, entering into puberty. You could see those, you know, kind of relationships there. And, um, you know, I definitely think that's clear. Um, and you, you see it in different movies, works of uh, literature across. And I, I thought that it was interesting in, in demonstrating it as a, 
uh, a Muslim woman uh, gaining superpowers. I thought it was a little nuanced uh, that I haven't seen before. So I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah, she came around, I want to say, around the time in 2012 where Marvel was really trying to diversify their universe uh, when they introduced Miles Morales uh, as, you know, being, you know, black and Afro-Latino as Spider-Man. Uh, around the time when they introduced Miss America, America Chavez, who, you know, is a dreamer and an immigrant here in America who has the ability to open up portals to different different parts of the universe. And... Uh, and around the time where they introduced uh, Ironheart, Riri Williams, who is uh, a young uh, tech genius who finds an old Iron Man suit and, you know, reverse engineers one for herself. You want to talk a little bit about um, her superpowers, um, how she gets them and, you know, Terrigen Mist and all that kind of stuff? Okay. So, yeah, we have to distinguish between the MCU and the Marvel Universe, right? The, the comics universe. Uh, mm-hmm. In... The comics universe, she is an inhuman. She has the dormant inhuman gene that she's not aware of. And one night she sneaks out to go to a party, which her parents were very against because of their very strict Muslim uh, background. She's not supposed to be out past a certain hour. She's definitely not supposed to be at a party with boys and definitely not at a party where people are drinking. And, you know, she breaks all the rules and goes out. And uh, as she's at the party, someone kind of offers her a drink, knowing that she's strictly Muslim and not supposed to drink. And she takes a sip, not knowing it's alcohol, and immediately spits it out. And after that, she kind of is over it. Like, she's like, maybe this was a bad idea. Maybe I shouldn't have gone here. And as she's walking home, she walks through a Terrigen Miss Cloud. Now, Terrigen is... uh, well, it was a Chemical. bomb that went off, right? Like they dropped the Terrigen Mist bomb throughout um, Jersey City, was it? Oh well, okay. So mm-hmm. if you if you want to go back, do you remember um, the X Men versus Inhumans storyline? Basically, when <laughs> when Fox still owned X Men and the mutants, basically Marvel was trying to figure out how to ramp up uh, a new a new set of characters, right? And they couldn't use mutants. And the next closest thing was Inhumans. So what Marvel Comics did in order to ramp up for the movies was start to really introduce the Inhumans again. And they had a a brief uh, storyline where the Inhumans fought the X-Men. And one of the ways the Inhumans found that they could neutralize the X-Men was by releasing this Terrigen Mist. And the Terrigen Mist is what gives the Inhumans their powers. But it also is very deadly to mutants so the inhumans were dropping terrigen mist bombs all over the planet in order to try to (laughs) kill off the mutants and and increase their population and increase their population with people who had you know latent inhuman dna and what wound up happening was she was walking home from this party and she walked through a cloud of this terrigen mist that had been released by a bomb from somewhere around the world And she goes into a cocoon. And when she emerges from it, she emerges as her favorite character, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. And what we find out is her powers are not only that she able to uh, change her appearance, but she's able to physically stretch her body. And she's able to uh, heal herself 
by going back into human form and then going back into her her stretchy form or what they call embiggening. And uh, she's, I mean, I, we talked about this briefly before, but, and I think Chris said it too. He had a, he had a really great uh, analogy. She's kind of like a combination of Mystique and uh, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. Uh, now in the, in the, in the MCU show on Disney plus, she gets her powers from a magical amulet, a, a, a family artifact. That allows her to create light constructs that allow her to stretch uh, farther than her her actual grasp, and uh, that's how they're approaching it in the TV show. But you know, but yeah, but uh, but in the comics, she's just able to stretch and 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 embiggen, and she uses that to fight you know bigger characters. She's able to shrink herself and 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 sneak into places like Ant Man almost sometimes too. So she's just really able to manipulate her 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 body her her body chemistry in ways she needs to in order to fight. So, so for MCU canon, there are no Inhumans and there's no Terrigen Mist. Is that is that what's going on? Well, they haven't necessarily introduced those concepts. Now, for those who I don't, well, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but um, there was an Inhumans TV show a while back that right. you know. Kevin Feige later on said that it is no longer canon, so it, it, it didn't really exist. Um, and it was it was actually produced by this guy. I forget his name, but he actually produced the Iron Fist show on Netflix too, which was like critically panned and, and, and panned by even the the biggest comic book fans. Like it, it just was not a good show. And this guy, he did that show and he did uh, Inhumans, which were both just terrible shows. I mean, you know, like they cut off Medusa's hair in the first episode. Like, you know, if you're if you're any any bit of an Inhumans fan, you know that's just that makes no sense at all. Is it, way? Is, is it helpful just to kind of explain who the Inhumans are? Because uh, if you, yeah, no, no, we can go to so so the Inhumans, and they have a they have a really kind of deep history within Marvel Comics. Uh, so in the beginning, there were the Celestials. <laughs> Uh oh, he's giving from the beginning. All right, go for it. Goodness. This honestly, this this uh, storyline, I get confused between the the origin of the the Marvel universe and the DC universe because they kind of have some overlap there. But but please let me let me stop. Go ahead, Britt. Please go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no worries. Yeah, we'll go into the DC universe another day. But in the beginning of the Marvel universe, there were the Celestials. You know, the they're big, like planet sized, like creatures who have the ability to to create life and to create you know planets and, and solar systems and they created the earth and they actually you know put creatures on the earth you know in, including humans so fast forward you know there there's there's a lot of fighting between the uh celestials created humans and they created deviants and the humans and deviants are, are fighting. But what happens is the humans develop, you know, different powers to, to overcome these, these evil creatures that the Celestials put on Earth too. So then fast forward to two of the oldest races in, in Marvel Comics, the Kree and the Skrulls, right? The Skrulls are a shape-shifting kind of barbaric, almost animalistic type race of creatures who are trying to take over the universe. And the Kree are like a very uh, intelligent, very uh, orderly kind of st- structurally in terms of their society. And 
they them and the scrolls are really butting heads in terms of trying to in, in terms of their dominance over the universe but the one thing that the even though the crees are more intelligent and they're they're less animalistic than the scrolls the scrolls are actually able to uh, develop and they're they're actually able to uh, evolve and and at the and at this point the Cree are stuck in in their own evolution but what they what the Cree found is they found this little planet earth where creatures did have the ability to evolve and had the ability to come up with new powers so what they did was they took a small group of humans and put them on a on a really small what they call the blue spot on the moon and they conducted experiments on on humans. And what they found is that humans had a latent gene that would react to this pterogen mist. And from there, the, all the humans that were able to react to the pterogen mist and, and develop powers were became inhumans. And the inhumans were basically an offshoot of the Kree or, or a science experiment of the Kree here on the planet Earth. So – just to pause for a second. So the difference, just you know, at a thirty thousand foot view, the difference between the Inhumans and mutants has to do with whether or not a differentiated gene activates yeah. from a different me- by the mechanism by which a differentiated gene activates. Yeah, it, it, you know, the mutants, the mutant gene is activated kind of at puberty when you're at a time of extreme stress or duress or something like that that's when kind of like when your mutant gene gets activated the inhuman gene lays dormant unless it is activated it's it's activated yes unless it's activated by this special pterogen mist with what they call pterogenesis and that gene that gene expresses differently when activated depending on the individual correct yeah yeah just just like the mutant gene would express differently the 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 inhuman gene not every individual carries that latent gene, correct? Not every, not every individual, but a, 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 a number of individuals who are who who were you know brought to the moon and experimented on. Yes, interesting. And then even still, even still within the human population now, there or there the within the human population in the MCU and in, in, in the Marvel universe, there are people out there who have that latent in human gene. I got I got two two comments about so when the celestials came they it was three races right the deviants humans and eternals right the eternals yeah but the eternals were were created by the celestials so the celestial the the the, the eternals could live amongst the humans and and they or they could not you know it just depends on what the celestials wanted them to do but they were never like supposed to change the the course of human society they were just used as agents of the celestials for whatever the celestials needed them for. Mm-hmm. And the, the second thing is, are there any examples of mutant uh, inhumans like that have both? I don't think so. There, there's one inhuman who has like uh, I want to say he has like like volcano powers, <laughs> like he's able to mm-hmm. summon like like molten earth. He's the closest, but I don't think I don't think he's a mutant. I, th- I think he's I think he is just an inhuman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And then uh, back to your point of uh, Thanos, just, just since we're on the topic, Thanos is a eternal that has a deviant gene, correct? Yes. Okay. Is, is, is Apocalypse also an eternal? Apocalypse is a mutant. Yeah, Apocalypse is a mutant, but he's just he's like the first mutant. 
Ah, that's right. Okay. I thought that woman was the first mutant. Who? I don't remember her name. Maybe. I mean, you know, maybe Apocalypse killed her. Who knows? <laughs> I think Apocalypse was like number two. Like the first mutant was some like woman from, you know, way back when. No, for sure. But yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, because again, the Inhuman story is kind of, uh, it's kind of out there. It's not very uh, personable. Like it's not very relatable. But Ms. Marvel takes that Inhuman story and makes it completely relatable, completely human. You know, and, and not only that, though, even though we're, we're talking about a, a brown girl who's Muslim from, you know, Jersey City, the kind of themes that come into it are just as universal as anything else. You know, we all have had times where maybe our parents didn't understand or, or maybe there was something we were really passionate about that they couldn't get behind. Uh, maybe they were maybe super religious or maybe there were, you know, obligations to religion that your parents put upon you that you didn't necessarily want. And uh, Kamala is all those things. She 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 really gives a, a great insight to to that feeling of adolescence and just being out of place. And again, just being the other, whatever the situation. You know, she's kind of yeah, the other. Like- I'm sorry, she's kind of the other within her family, with her with her parents. She's kind of the other within her friend group at school, and she's definitely the other now that she acquired these superhuman powers. Yeah, I, I like the, the 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 nuance that that is used to uh, show her her different struggles in different environments, right? Because it's not like she's shunning her her culture or her religion. You know, she she still values it um, significantly, but she still, you know, is a teenager that wants to do certain things, you know? Um, in the process of the few issues that I read in, in volume one, you know, you, you can see her evolving to the point of, of coming to acceptance that her, her friend that owns or works in the, the convenience store kind of helps her, you know, to come to the conclusion like, hey, no, we want to see you. You know, we want to see somebody like you. I think the community respond better to see a superhero like you and, you know, her coming to the acceptance of like, yeah, you're right. You know, um, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I think also it's interesting to see the impact her parents have on her, right? When she has to make decisions, right? And her moral compass comes up. It, it is kind of rooted in in her own like spiritual upbringing, right? She talks about kind of how to make a decision because she has to make certain decisions about to defy her parents in order to you know help somebody. Um, and, and she talks through like how she makes that decision and how she rationalizes defying her parents or going out and, or risking getting in trouble. Yeah, um, and it does all go back to that that strong, you know, spiritual connection that her family um, embraces as part of their culture. I, I also think it's also just a, a general like coming of age story, right? I mean, exactly. we've all been there, right? Where it's like, you know, you're in high school, you don't maybe you don't quite fit in everywhere, or you know, and you're trying to find you know yourself and your voice, and and it's tough. And then also from you know a parent perspective, I, mean, I look at this and I read it and I say. Man, like at some point, the parents just diverge, right? They just they just miss the off ramp and continue to kind of fail to see her changing, even as a person, um, and, and give her the the runway she needs to be able to to uh, to be accepted in the family. And as a result, like it creates kind of an interruption in their communication. Right now, she's just like, ah, oh, it's too complicated to explain to you guys what's going on, but she really wants to talk to them. You know, they're they're her confidants. She is close to her family, but she just doesn't feel like they they understand what's going on or they would understand. And and it's just a subtle it's a subtle change that happens, right? Where like one day she just goes through something, they react the way they normally would every other day. 
And but this day was different. And then as a result, like they they just they just diverge. Yeah, no, well said. And I, and you know, and I think they do a really good job in in the MCU show as well, displaying that that same dynamic between her and her parents. Um, it's really it's it's it, I think Ms. Marvel again is going to be a hero that we're going to be talking about for a long time to come. Hope so. Look forward to it. Is is the show good? I haven't it's, watched it yet. It's fun. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's very along the, the lines of Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. Okay. Uh, they do a lot of fun things where, you know, if, if, if a character is, is texting on her phone, like, you'll see the text come up on the screen. Uh, you know, as she's walking through the neighborhood, she's talking about, you know, she's kind of talking about her favorite superheroes. And, like, there's a mural on the wall with the superheroes that all of a sudden comes to life as she's walking. And kind of, like, you know, like, you see the heroes like kind of walking alongside her and okay. and doing heroic things. So they they really nailed the theme and it, it's actually it's I want to say produced by a Muslim woman and it's directed by two Muslim American guys. And you can tell that they they infused that culture into the show in a seamless way that it doesn't feel like you know like normally when you have like like a character who's different like you know like a, a black or Asian or something like that like you you put every stereotype of, of what that culture is into that person. Whereas here mm-hmm. on Ms. Marvel, because there's so many Muslim characters, like you can have a little bit of nuance. Like, you know, maybe there's the ultra religious Muslim person, and maybe there's like, you know, the less religious person. Maybe there's the there's the you know, like she's a fangirl Muslim person, and then maybe there's like this the completely oblivious, you know, person. It, it, it does a really good job kind of giving each character their own nuance and, and in subtlety within you know, I, I like that right i mean i haven't seen it but i, I like that concept that you're describing like to be able to show a depth within a culture by having you know various different characters display different elements of it i you know a lot of times you see one culture represented and to your point it's just like okay let's put everything we know about that person and make them just like an embodiment of all these things and and that's not realistic and so or it, it is good yeah, exactly. Or, or like a fear of of showing somebody in a bad light because how that might represent that culture. But you know, when you show the complexities of all the different characters, it gives you breath to have some evil person doing something or somebody doing something that you know group might find repulsive or something. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, I'll, that's just just a quick that di- di- diverge. I, I was watching Ozark. You know, I think uh, that's a great show, but you know. <sighs> At one point, I think I'm like four seasons in or something. Like it's pretty far in there, and I don't. We see the first black character, and it's it's, it's like a it's like a two bit drug dealer, right? Um, and then they they, they kill the character off, and I, I think that that is something generally just missing from the conversation in Hollywood. It's like, hey, like diversity is not just casting one character here, one there in a stereotypical role, but it's it's showing like just the variation and depth of the of of other cultures and how also they are, you know, people. And I think that if, if that's what this show is doing, then I, I applaud that, that effort. Yeah, no, for sure. I, it's, 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 I think it's, it's, it's a very important kind of step and they, and you know, they, and they, and they're doing it the right way. They're showing the care and they're showing the, the, the consideration of what this culture is. And again, it's, it's, um, it's directed by two Muslim American men. So, you know, they, they, they get it. And and I and I and I, I think that 
if Marvel shows this sort of care to other characters and other cultures going forward, you know, they're only going to increase their fan base. And, and even though they have an amazing fan base as it is, <laughs> you know, they're, they're only going to increase, you know, their footprint in, in what we in popular culture. Just to kind of go back just a quick second, like I wanted to ask you guys your opinion, right? So we were talking about diversity in the Marvel universe and also in the MCU. I wonder if if you think that it's more acceptable to create new or divergent characters um, than, than it is to kind of retell an existing character from a diverse perspective. <laughs> and, then, and then secondly, and I, I think we talked about this in the other episode, like the reaction of just having, to, you know, fans who have expectations around the race of characters within the universe, even the characters that haven't existed yet. Like we see this in star Wars, right? What, what are your thoughts around like just that, that resistance that's still out there and, you know, in light of creating diversity within like new and existing characters. It's one of those things where it's tough because obviously legacy characters are going to always be the marquee. Like they're always going to be the draw. You're you're always going to want to see a character that is you know been around for a long time. I think Marvel kind of does it in a good way where they're creating new characters, but they're kind of they're legacy characters from you know older, more established, you know less diverse <laughs> background characters, um, characters with a less diverse background. But it's 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 always going to be tough. Like I I feel like. You're not going to really get that from the big two. I feel like if anything, if, if, if other comic book outlets uh, start to develop diverse characters on their own, I think that would probably be the ideal. But until we can kind of, you know, get away from our, 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 our addiction to legacy characters, it's going to be tough to see like a, a real diverse, like a truly diverse slate of characters. Yeah, I know I've had this conversation with both of you independently um, at length. Um, and, you know, it's, it's such an interesting uh, question to ask, Chris. Um, I know I think uh, Britt's perspective on it was was interesting when because I my perspective uh, just briefly is like I, I feel like, you know, the characters should be how the characters were and, you know, just create new characters or give those old characters more depth. Um, but some of the old characters are kind of, you know, stereotypes and things like that, that, you know, might not do the best job. And, and th- there's a dearth of uh, diverse characters in, in their um, history or uh, exciting characters that have a huge fan base. It's limited. Um, so that's the challenge. And I think Britt just mentioned that. But, you know, I feel like, you know, just create the new characters like they did Miles Morales. I think that was a big hit, you know. And I think they're trying to do that with some of these new characters that they're doing. And then, um, you know, with with Image and, and some of these other, you know, Dark Horse, some of these other labels, they, they have more of a uh, opportunity to develop new characters. But sometimes I do struggle when um, you take a, a known character. Um, all right. For example, um, you know, there's there was an article at one point talking about using... Um, Giancarlo Esposito as um, Magneto um, in a future X-Men role. And I look, man, I love him as an actor. And in fact, I think he'd be a good 
Good, good Magneto. So he might not be the best yeah, example for awesome me to make my Magneto. case, but but like actually, I, I would like to see that. I'm not gonna lie. But typically, my response to something like that would be like, no, just you know, keep Magneto, you know, the the, the old Caucasian man um, that that he was in in the um, in the animated series and the comic books that that we're familiar with. But I, I think he might be the exception for, for the rule because I think he would be so dope as Magneto, man. Uh, I would love to see that. Um, but but yeah, I think I think they should just make new characters. Um, so like, and, and, and go in that direction. No no black Batman, no black Superman. Just a yeah okay. So, yeah, yeah like well, they did I mean, Steel. I mean, Steel was a different character, right? But still, uh, I didn't care. For well, well, you know, uh, and, and, Marlon Wayans was originally cast to be Robin in the Batman and Robin movies. I want to I want to say. God, thank God that didn't. What, what, what yeah, movie, you know? which, which, which Batman was this going to be? It's, it, it was the it was this uh, I forget the the one I want to say with George Clooney. Well, I guess that wouldn't have made a difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if Marlon Wayans is in Batman, I'm expecting to see Pal, Blam, and Whammo on the screen. <laughs> yeah, and then and then yeah, I, and Michael B. Jordan was rumored to uh, maybe be cast as this new Superman if Henry Cavill ever stepped down. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so what's your thought, Chris? I mean, because I feel like you, you don't like it either. Yeah, I don't, I mean, in theory, I like the idea that like, I, look, I don't like people protesting it. Like, oh, like you can't be, you can't be a black and be this, that, and the other, or you can't be a, you know, a woman and be this, that, and the other, you know, but, but it, it, yes, if you grew up on comic books and you're used to seeing them illustrated a certain type of way, you have an expectation, right? But I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but you know, like we, we see a lot of representation of characters looking one way and then accepting that as a norm and rejecting anything else being the case. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, you know, we, we could talk about, you could talk about Jesus, for example, right? Like they've, he's predicted or he's depicted mostly as an Italian man. And, and so, but like, you know, that's, that's not historically, you know, some pe- people argue that's not historically correct. Right. But at the same time, I think that if an image gets enough play out there, the concept and the image become inseparable. That's and so crazy. I mean, that's a great example. And it's it, so crazy how it's it's just so instilled in our head, that, right. that image. Somebody drew Jesus as a white guy, and now Jesus is a white guy. And, and look, I'm sure for hours people will debate what ethnicity Jesus was. But you know, at the end of the day, it is true that the depiction that we see is not actually a true depiction, because how could it be? Right? But... And that's how it is. And I think that, like, so if you take, let's say, Batman, for example, let's just take Batman. Batman has always been a symbol and not necessarily a character. Even the character himself says he's a symbol. So that, to me, I would say that if you created a black Batman, that would be consistent with the character of Batman because the moniker has to be carried, you know, it has to transcend the character. I think that's the idea. But, but I think also, Joffrey, to your point, you probably can achieve that by creating a secondary origin story and someone taking up Batman as, as, as like, you know, as a character, as opposed to maybe having like a black person with the same origin story. I, you know, I, I don't know the answer. I, I have mixed feelings about it. I do think that like, I would like to see some of those big name superheroes be shown diverse, and, but I also like the story to be a little different too, if they do. Right. Um, so you know, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, Zoe Kravitz just, was just was cast as, as Catwoman in the in the latest The Batman. It went flawlessly. I thought I don't know. But but but, but, but you can make the argument that Catwoman has been 
a black woman. You know, was it Eartha Kitt? You know, it's, it's not new. It's happened before. So pe- pe- people are comfortable with Catwoman being a black woman. Well, Joffrey, we talked about this. What about Lex Luthor? Oh, uh, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, in comic <laughs> books, when I was a kid, they, they used to shade him a bit darker than everybody else. And maybe that's because that's what they did with villains back then. But, you know, at, at some point in time, Lex Luthor, in my mind, was a bald black man. And then at some point, you know, someone made Definitely it... Definitely racially amb- ambiguous. Right. And then someone made it a very, dis- a very distinct and deliberate decision, or a deliberate decision to, to make him distinct and give him white hair, I mean red hair. And and that was that was it. That lay everything else to rest. Like if you ever were curious, now you know. He's not this is not a, this is a white man with red hair. This is not a black man. I think they even went so far as to talk about like his family origin just to lay it to bed, lay it to rest. Like oh, you know, he comes from this family of X Y and Z. At least in the I'm sorry, at least in in the in the in the movie franchises. Yeah, but even you know, in the animated series, he always has the deep voice. Yeah, it's the, you know, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Lex is, is voiced by a black guy in the comics. I mean, in the, in the animated shows. Uh, but you know, again, Michael Clark Duncan was cast as Kingpin in the in the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. You know, and then not only that, though, go further. I, and this is where I think, and this is the way it has to be if if we really want to do it. It's it's like Nick Fury. Because for as long as we were growing up, Nick Fury was a white guy with, with, with silver streaks going in his hair. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, Sam Jack came around and Nick Fury was black. <laughs> Sam, Jackson, yeah, Sam Jackson is not black anymore. He transformed. <laughs> I'm just going to be real with you. Let me just go real quick. The list. All right. Samuel Jackson. It was Will Smith. And it's Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Somehow the three of them have have just rocketed beyond recognition of a race and have just become entities in, in, in our universe. And that, and, and good for them. But if I, this I were definitely my other podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, keep going. Keep. If this were my other podcast, I would clip that and have that the first thing that we heard. Feel free. <laughs> feel free to take it and use it. You're like, you know what? Just, just don't use it. But I, I, that's how I feel. I feel like they've transcended. Hopefully Michael B. Jordan gets an opportunity to do that too. Um, he had that little that that Reacher movie or what, what movie? It was like a Jason Bourne type movie that he did. It didn't do so well. Yeah, I like that. I liked it. I liked it too, but I don't think it did well. But I, I do think that um, it, that's what you have to do, right? You have to start stepping out and doing things that are different. But um, yeah, I mean, I, Sam Jackson to me, I don't think anybody saw that and saw any had any problem. They love him. We all love him so much that it didn't matter. You know, he could he could be Mister Clean. He could be Nick Fury. I mean, he he could have been honey. He could be honey boo boo, and we've been like, cool. That, that makes sense. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, I you know, I diversity in comics is is definitely a big issue, and I feel like, but but if okay. if, if, if done right, it, it I don't think people would necessarily jack. And and I and I feel like it really does. But it has to begin with the source material, and I feel like that's really the root problem, right? Because a lot of this stuff. Like let's put it like this. I bet you there's more black characters in the Marvel universe than there are black writers for Marvel comics. Oh, definitely. You know, and I feel like from the source material, it, it, it starts with hiring diverse writers to to bring these these characters to life. Because once you do that, then it'll translate to the the zeitgeist of the comic book uh, following. But yeah, I, I, feel I think like- it also just helped with just the storyline for the the non-diverse characters, you know, just adding more nuance to their interactions, you know, I think, I think it'll help there too anyway, you know, regardless. Mm-hmm. 
But to, to the point with um, uh, Sam Jackson as Nick Fury, you know, you you wonder like how big was Nick Fury? You know, yeah, we knew Nick Fury, and yeah, I remember the original Nick mm. Fury. But you know, as far as the general pop, you know, people know Spider Man, Batman, Superman. You know, Robin. They they know these characters. If you change them people might have a fit but if you change some you know i can't think of another character but like <laughs> i was gonna say let's see um ice man i don't know you know somebody i don't bobby know how Drake? much they care <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> not bobby <laughs> i'm just i'm just trying to think of somebody but like you know if, if you were to take the character yeah let, let's stick with with ice ice man okay how about ice man oh, okay that, is that what i was talking about? and and you and you were to you know, create its own storybook, you know, because what was it, Marvel Now, that, that they do it in, uh, the new Nick Fury, but, um, and, and and really expand on, on his world and give it depth that hasn't been given, people might be receptive to that, kind of like they do with Nick Fury, but when you take somebody as, you know, like Batman or Superman, they're like, no, no, we know who he is, that's not him. They did Spider-Man right. I mean, I, even if you watch, um, what is the what is the movie inside the um, Spider Verse? Yeah, inside the Spider Verse. Thank you. I, I mean, it is it is just a, a really well told story. So for people who aren't familiar with Miles Morales, it was a great way to introduce him. He he was different. He had his own way of doing things. Even his costume, rep, you know, went back and would pay you know homage to kind of his differentiated character. And I thought it was yeah. well done. But to your point, Andrew. Joffrey, like. You're right. Like, yeah, if you take the pawns on the board and you switch them out, like nobody really notices. Even if you make them a main, you give them a main character story. Like, it's if it's not a major character to begin with, no one was paying attention to Nick Fury. No one pays attention to Iceman. Frankly, no one even really pays attention to the Fantastic Four's, Four's um, Human Torch either. And so, you know, these yeah. characters give them. A, you, you really, you think people? Do you think Human Torch yeah, is the main? He's character? the brother. He's the brother of of uh, uh, what's his name? Sue Storm, you know? Okay, but in the comic books, what is he other than the hothead? He doesn't have a backstory like that, like that. Well, no, but but then you it know, goes into what? He was adopted. I mean, yeah, okay, sure. But then it's like, oh, whatever. They didn't really do anything with him. They really did. Are you talk, so you're talking about the Michael B. Jordan uh, Human Torch right now? No, I'm just talking about Human Torch in general in the Marvel Universe. He's. It, I was. I, my, my point was that like a lot of times when you do see diversity happen, it's with characters that are just not that... They're not big impact players. Um, well, first of all, I'll say this: Bobby Drake, Iceman, is really big, especially you know LGBT. Yes, yes. There you go. If, if you know, if you want to change up Bobby Drake even more than he is right now, you're gonna you're gonna be there's <laughs> there's gonna be some hurt feelings out there. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, to the Human Torch, I mean, yeah, he doesn't really have that much. His 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 only real kind of uh interesting thing is him and when him and spider-man get together because spider-man you know was was you know a big fan of the fantastic four he he loves reed richards i mean you know because reed is the smartest man and uh whenever you know spider-man tags along with the fantastic four him and human torch have like a really interesting kind of dynamic that goes in there so you know i, I don't know if the spider-man fans might you know be upset with you know with changing Human Torch, but I I, I know that there's a, a contingent that really loved the Spider-Man Human Torch brothers brotherhood friendship. 
actually think, and listen to you guys talk, I actually think anybody in the Fantastic Four can probably be, probably be swapped out. <laughs> right? Honestly, anybody could get it. Anybody, yeah, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just, it's, if we're talking about it, you know, Jaffe knows I'm itching to talk about this. But if, if we're talking about it, let's just, let's just be real. Let's, let's claim Silver Surfer too. Well, Doran Red. He's black. He's black. He came from all. He came from, he came from an all black planet. Peaceful, loving black people. He was, you know, a scientifically advanced peace, peace loving black planet of just wonder, of wonderfulness. And he is when they printed the comic, they just the, the ink was running low, so you can't really see how how dark the you know their skin was. But you know they were they were. <laughs> I mean, the man covered himself in chrome. I mean, come on, it's a black man. We don't we all know. It. That's a lot of drip. That's a lot of drip. It is. It is. <laughs> no, but but um, to yeah, right, let's let's talk about that for a second. I mean, because you know we had a I had a nice conversation with Chris about this, and um, you know we were reminiscing about. You know, our, back in the day when we were collecting comics and, you know, who was our favorite characters and, and, and why. And, you know, for me, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I, I, I love the Silver Surfer. You know, he, he was just a, a badass. You know, I don't necessarily know exactly why I, I connected with him, but I did. And the other characters that I connected with um, was Green Lantern and then eventually Spawn. Which, which, I, I which one? Which, which, which Lantern? Sorry. You, you, you know which lantern. John. John Stewart. John, okay, John okay. Stewart. It's gonna be John Stewart. Okay. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, so you know, but it it wasn't, you know, it was subconscious. You know, it wasn't. I wasn't picking them up like, oh, you know, they're they're black. You know, it was just like, oh, he looks cool. I want to read that. You know, I didn't even know Spawn was black until I saw it, and and I, I love that. You know. But it was all kind of a little bit just subconsciously, and um, you know, definitely Silver Surfer. I, I viewed him, you know, looking back at, at now I'm grown. I look look back, and I definitely thought he was black. He looked like a black man to me, in in silver. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were look. I mean, look as any kid flipping through comics, right? You love this, you know. Think about yourself in the same universe, and it's just easier when you see somebody who might resemble or 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 look like you right so you can see yourself in it it's just about having role models and i think i think that there was so little diversity in the main characters on the main character stage back in the 80s and 90s within comics early 90s within comics that it really it really pushed us to look at it from a different perspective so like yeah i, I agree and jaffrey and i we, we actually were like we're like who do you think it was who do you think it was and we're like both and i knew time, i knew who you surfer and i was like yeah i felt the same way i was a huge super surf silver surfer fan silver surfer pulled me all the way in the comics and then like it pulled me into drawing i mean silver surfer was like you couldn't you couldn't tell me anything well i'd have emotional feelings about silver surfer when he wasn't doing well like in infinity war or whatever the case may be you know, I just Silver Surfer to me was like the epitome of of a comic book hero because I saw him as a reflection of, no pun intended, but a reflection of, of like of of me as a kid, and I, I really I really enjoyed that character, and I just think that maybe the experience is different when you're looking at comics and everybody looks like you, right? But you know, as a kid growing up, that wasn't the case for us. Well, I I feel like Silver Surfer is really great for you know, especially you know. I, I think black kids that grew up us like us because, you know, I don't know what you guys were like, but I, I know that I kind of grew up in like a predominantly white um, elementary school. Like I was like in high school, I was like one of maybe two or three black people like, you know, in 
and regions and AP courses and that sort of stuff. And Silver Surfer kind of has that thing where he is, he's isolated. He's, he's just on mission. Like, you know, like he, he doesn't under really understand the greater mission that, you know, Galactus or whoever is out there sending him on. He just knows that he's just trying to work hard so he can get back to his people to get back to his love. And I feel like a lot of black people, you know, who are kind of find themselves in, 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 in you know, the minority and in predominantly, you know, whiter spaces, you feel that isolation, you feel that trappedness, and you also feel that obligation to your people to, to do well so you can, you know, give back to them. And I feel like that's probably a, a, a reason why Silver Surfer might have related to you guys. Yeah. I, well, I mean, where do you want to take this, Bray? Because, I mean, if you really <laughs> think about it, like, he's, he's not working for Galactus. He's indentured to Galactus. And he, he took that role in order to protect, you know, to, to steer Galactus so that he did minimum harm in, in his, was he consuming planets, I think, for energy or something like that. And he's mm-hmm. just pointing him towards non-habited or non-sentient sentient species habited planets, right? Because I think that sometimes he even takes them to habited planets if he has to. And inhabited planets if he has to. But, I, you know, it's this idea that he's working off a debt in order to help his family. This idea that he is, you know, not, he's not doing this of his free will. He gave up his free will. And, and, and that, I think, is, I mean, maybe as a kid, you don't really, really resonate with that directly. But as an adult, looking back, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I grew up similarly to you. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, went to predominantly white schools, um, and, and would feel um, that isolation and that and being different. And it, it wasn't just in your head. You know, you'd be reminded of it. Right? People have no problem telling you that you're different and that, you know, maybe you don't always belong at the table. But, um, you know, it, so I think that, that that definitely does strike a chord. He was a lone wolf and he was out there doing what he had to do for the greater good. Yeah. Yeah, I love Super Surfer. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a comic book creator looking for a new or additional engagement platform for your community? Then come take a look at Brilliance. Brilliance is a blockchain-powered platform where authors can publish ebooks, crowdfund new creative ideas, and connect with their readers. With Brilliance, authors can set royalties that endure beyond the initial sale to include royalties on resale of the book. That's right. Unlike many other ebook providers, Brilliance allows users to resell their books on the marketplace, and with each sale, the original creator will receive their royalty payment directly to their account. Authors are free to price their works however they would like. Unlike other platforms, Brilliance does not pressure creators into pricing restrictions. By unlocking pricing, Brilliance allows for natural price discovery and a true relationship between the creator and their devoted readership. Additionally, by leveraging Brilliance's blockchain technology, authors can access all the readers who have owned their work or even works of a similar genre. This gives the authors an opportunity to build their own distribution lists, connect directly with their fan bases, and grow their unique community. There are many more benefits to this game-changing platform. Learn more and sign up by going to Brilliance.io. That's Brilliance.io. Let's establish a new paradigm.
All right, let's let's uh, let's move on to some issues of interest. Um, today we're going to be talking about Fear Itself, Luther, and Batman, issue number 125. Uh, Chris, you had, yeah, Chris, you had Luther, issue one. You want to go ahead and tell us about why you chose that book? Yeah, so I picked this up and I just recently learned that this is, what did you say this is? This is the trade, trade back? Is that what it's called? they have multiple issues into one book yeah this is easy for me right because you know it's i like to get a couple at a time um but the you know one of the drawbacks is that this one doesn't like to mark when one issue starts and the other one ends so it's kind of hard to 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 know when i went from issue one to issue two but i went went about halfway through so i'll I'll talk a little bit about it in broader sense so i don't ruin it for anybody but um so this is luther this is from brian um azarello and then uh lee is Bermejo is that his name? Who is the, the illustrated it? And um, and I, I mentioned the illustrator in this one because I mean I really am feeling like the character faces, right? Just a lot of a lot is conveyed in the faces of the characters throughout this book. So I just spent a lot of time just looking at the imagery and really kind of getting into it. But this is my first foray into um, you know Lex Luthor as like a main character. Of course, I know him from you know the Batman world and you know, his role and um. I mean, not Batman. I'm sorry, <laughs> Superman. And I know him, you know, from from that perspective. Oh, interesting. Just to kind of have a book that that talks about the world through his eyes, it's 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 interesting. It's not inconsistent with what we know about Lex Luthor, but um, it definitely gives like a more of a human look to like his motivations and, and how he operates. And I just just forgive me for a second here, but I can't stop thinking about Jeff Bezos when I when I go through this book. Um, but he is, you know, in, in this story, it sets out in kind of framing like, okay, his mentality of how he views Superman um, and his relationship with uh, Metropolis and, at, you know, as a kind of like a, a science research and, and, and business uh, um, um, leader, he is, he is very much concerned around, you know, about the, the future of the city. Um, but obviously has deep concerns about, you know, Superman, his origins and, and what Superman can ultimately mean for humanity. Um, and, you know, and Luther, I think, has, you know, he's a complex character and they, they talk a little bit about it um, as you journey through this book, or at least this, the first first issue and so forth. They talk a little bit about um, how he kind of processes his place in society and, and what it's like to be human um, while looking at Superman. So what's going on in this is that he's kind of um, <clears throat> negotiating these deals. So you, they show his day-to-day business where he's working and constructing the science tower. It's a tower to kind of like a monument to humanity's innovation and accomplishments. And it's, you know, it's also a monument to him. He's building this really large tower and like in, in the process of constructing it, he has interactions with labor unions. Um, and you can see this side that Luther is a, a ruthless businessman. Um, he does some thuggish things, um, and he um, ultimately is about that bottom dollar. However, one of the things that you also notice um, is that he's got relationships with other people like him, you know, most notably Bruce Wayne. So, you know, they have they have a relationship as businessmen, um, and they have some, there are some parallels between Wayne Industries and, uh, and Lex Luthor's enterprise, and. And they they definitely share technologies um, and collaborate on certain projects, and it, it it's a great seg- segue into kind of things that we've seen later in the DC universe, as far as like for example how Batman gets his hands on certain materials, 
um, and, and how Lex Luthor gets his hands on certain technologies as well. Um, it's a really interesting scene. There's a really interesting scene within the first issue where Batman and I'm sorry, when where um, Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor actually have dinner together and have a conversation, and it's and they're sizing each other up, and it's just it's just looking at this world from from Luthor's point of view um, is a, is a lot different than maybe like someone like me from a standard perspective has always seen him as um, the antithesis of Superman. So. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Of course, this was published on the DC's Black Label, um, which I and I wasn't super familiar with it. But Jaffrey, to your point, I had we had we had spoken a little bit about this earlier. Um, I had you know maybe read a, a one or two other publications from from, the, from under this brand, but I wasn't quite aware that it like, was their position to make um, to kind of make a little bit um, more grittier, more adult themes available um, in, in in the DC universe. Paul's there. See if you guys have any questions or, or comments, or have you guys read any anything Luther related? I haven't read I haven't read any Luther, but I always find Luther is an interesting character when you kind of get his uh, his inner monologue. Because I think a lot of times when I when I've have read Luther as an inner monologue, he is looking at Superman like an outsider, uh, like a foreigner. And he's always looking to why society is worshiping Superman, whereas he is, you know, this native-born son who has, you know, worked his way up and who is, you know, enterprising and, and wants to help humankind. He he does a lot of times step in and intervene when there's like intergalactic uh, threats against the planet Earth because he lives here too. Uh, so it's always interesting to me to get Luther's inner dialogue. Was there any of that in there where he's like, you know, where he talks about, hey, Superman, you're you're a foreigner, you know, you're, you're an outsider. Does he? Does is there anything like that in there? Yeah, yeah, it's not inner dialogue. He has so he has like this. I would say personal assistant in the beginning of the issue that he's kind of just having a he's having a little bit of discussion with as he's kind of going about his business and. She's talking about how great Superman is, and he's kind of like, yeah, but he's not a, like he's just making corrections. Like, oh, like he's so super, like Superman flies by in this 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 video that they've captured of him, and she's like, yeah, oh, I can't believe like a man can fly and even fly that fast. And he's like, Yo, he's like he's not a man. Like, don't get it twisted. Like Superman's an alien, and like the only safeguard we have against Superman Superman is Superman's word that he's not going to do harm. Like we we don't have anything and. That he's like an existential threat to us, and not only is he that, he's a reminder of the limitations of humanity. And like, you know, he's like all these things are dangerous things. Like they're dangerous for society. They're dangerous, um, you know, if, if left alone, and and we don't have like a way to mitigate. So he, you know, to your point, when you're talking about him intervening in intergalactic threats, it, he sees Superman as such. It's just a you know, to him, it's a time bomb, and he's just yeah. sitting back and he's like, well. Like y'all, your guys are real cool because this this aliens here playing nice. But like, what happens when he doesn't? Like, we've seen this with many like lesser people and lesser creatures who turn, and and this is no different. And so I, I think it's I think what Lexus Lex Luthor comes across very prudent, and 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 it makes a lot of sense. Like his thought process, like yeah, why don't you have a countermeasure? Like what are y'all doing? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like Superman just runs around and this and like to his point, he. He issue he he kind of issues out his own brand of justice. We just happen to be okay with it. 
But as we learn yeah. later, we're not. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of I mean, there is quite a bit of inner uh, monologue of, of Luther. And I think some of the stuff you're talking about was was his inner thoughts. Issue one pretty much ends with with him looking out the window and Superman's on the other side um, when when um, with some of the things you were saying, Chris. Um, uh, and I, I think um, yeah, I did I did read more into it. The conversation that he has with um Bruce Wayne was was really interesting. That happens later on. I think that's after issue one, but uh, it was really interesting because you know you see Bruce Wayne, who is Bruce Wayne, but he's also Batman, who is pretty much best friends with Superman, who also always has similar issues of concern about Superman. You know, being too powerful, always you know there always needs to be you know some something to stop anybody if they turn evil. You know, that's Batman's uh, style. Um, so, so it's interesting him kind of playing both sides of of that coin, you know, um, being close with Superman, but then at the same time working with Luther, understanding the risk that Superman may present. It was it was interesting. Yeah, right. and and at this and at this dinner, does Lex know who Bruce Wayne is? Because obviously Bruce Wayne knows who Lex is. Yeah, I mean, because right. Lex doesn't have like a, a secret identity, right? It's just he is who he is, and, and that's the thing I like about Lex Luthor. He doesn't really kind of hide who he is, and, and they different than like Superman and Batman, who have these alternate identities. It does. So to answer your question, it's it's not explicitly stated so, but if you read it, you can assume that he he there's things he does some play in the words as far as yeah. talking about Bruce Wayne is like got a mask on, and you know he's not who what he really seems to be. Like he. He catches Bruce Wayne. He comes to dinner. Bruce Wayne's got like um, like a bruise or something on his eye. And he's like, oh, like he points it out. Like, yeah, I see you. And Bruce Wayne tries to play it off. Like, you know, like kind of like he has like rough like parties and stuff like that. But, you know, Lex knows. And, and Lex makes it his business knows. See, the thing I, what I liked about that dinner is that it's Lex Luthor and Bruce Wayne are like the same person at that point mm-hmm. in time. Right? Like Batman's concerns and Lex Luthor's concerns. And then like both of their, both of their, I guess what their 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 business um, interests, like everything about them, is way more aligned. You would think that um, they would be best friends because they are like the same person. They have the same interests and goals, um, but th- there are, there are of course stark differences between the two as well. And one one difference that Lex points out is that just their 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 um, personalities are different. Like he's like you know he feels like Bruce Wayne's got like some significant character flaws that makes him a dangerous individual as well. <laughs> well you know does. what I also thought was, yeah, one of the things I thought was interesting is clearly this, this shines a light from, from the perspective of uh, Luther, right? So it's kind of telling the story from his perspective on how he see things, sees things and, you know, some of the, the positive things he does or what, what's the right right word virtuous things that he, he might do um but he's still he's still like if you look at it from a different perspective it's still kind of evil right like the example um i believe with with the janitor and the janitor's son right um where he you know he has the the janitor has a son who's and he's very um cordial with the janitor um wanting to be first names and the janitor just wants to be respectful of of lex luther's uh status um so just wants to call him mr luther um and then they talk about his son and he's good at science <laughs> and luther basically um tells tells um his his staff to make a position available at this elite school and in order to do that you have to get you have to 
somebody has to lose their seat, but he doesn't care about that. But he's doing something nice for the janitor, but at the same time, he's you know hurting somebody else's life, potential career, you know, future. No, he, he does um, that. He does that. that for the assistant. For the janitor, he gets he gives the kid a ticket to the opening of the science tower because the, the kid's like right. cutting class, and he's like, all right, he can come to the science tower. It's the I think it's the assistant's right, isn't it? The assistant that he goes and says, hey, like he. He tells the assistant to do that, but it's for the same kid. Oh, is it all the same kid? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, know, I didn't look at that. I'm sorry. Oh, the, the assistant's kids, the janitor's the kid, they have the same kid together? Because I thought it was the no, assistant's son they were talking about. I didn't read it that way. I read it as he's doing it for the janitor's kid. He's telling the assistant to do that for the janitor's uh, kid. I got you. Got you, got you, got you. I thought it was her kid. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a good, um, good read. Yes, it sounds sounds intriguing. I, I, I'm curious about to know about this Bruce Wayne angle now. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge Batman fan. All his you know flaws and, and derangements and all. So <laughs> I really would love to see this. <laughs> there, there's I don't is there like a book that focuses just on Bruce Wayne and not on Batman? I know there's a video game. That came out, um, let's say like four or five years ago. It was just about Bruce Wayne and not Batman. Um, but it was the first time I've ever been introduced to like a Bruce Wayne centric story. But are there any Bruce Wayne centric stories? It's just about that side of Batman. I would say not there are, I but I would say there are, but like it's probably in the frame of another character. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I read some Nightwing stuff, and it was it was you know you didn't see much Batman, but you saw some Bruce Wayne in there. Okay, um, you know, and like you know, detective comics and and maybe different kind of titles, you might see more Bruce Wayne. You know, my take on it, though, and I'd be interested to hear your your y'all's perspective on this, but it seems to me, in general, when you think about Batman and Bruce Wayne, is that Bruce Wayne is really the 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 fake. You know, he's the person is really Batman. You know, that's. That's who he is. That's where he spends all his time. That's what he's always thinking about. Is and and Bruce Wayne is really the costume that allows him to be Batman and to, for Batman to get certain access to certain things and to do certain things. And I mean, you know, we could segue into into what I read because I think it talks to that a little bit. But um, you know, that that's my perspective. What, what do you guys think about that? I think you could say that pretty much about all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. Um, but I think there's an opportunity from like a like there's an opportunity for Bruce Wayne to be like an its own character. Like, you know, they maybe you're right as far as like the Batman Bruce Wayne um relationship. It's more Batman's the true character and Bruce Wayne is his is his mask. Um but 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 it's still like, you know, I no one cares. I don't know. I don't, I don't care about Clark Kent story, right? But but like Bruce Wayne is interesting. Like he runs this company, like kind of like Tony Stark, right? He's got like a company that is like it's it's all in weapons and technology, and just they're they're just interesting morality questions as far as how they run their these 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 conglomerates um, that could be could be explored and make for an interesting read. And honestly, I think it would make him, you know, kind of approach the Lex Luthor type of character because I think when you get to that point, like there's your, your hands got have to be dirty. And I think it would make an interesting light on Bruce Wayne, particularly because he's going after like two bit cr- criminals and things like that. But it, yeah, I don't man, know how like you how, run a, How do you run Wayne? How many Enterprises? Batmobiles do you need, man? Feed, feed the homeless. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, like, he, like, he gives it at one. Uh, he gives to a couple of like um, you know uh, like shelters, right, for for um, for orphans and foster homes and stuff like that. But like he's not. 
Well, he, Batman needs orphans, man. Otherwise, how will he have a Oh, stop. Yo. <laughs> I mean, oh. <laughs> I'm saying this as a huge Batman oh, fan, too. Don't. <laughs> So, so so at one point Lex Luthor is like he just basically like yo a man like Batman has desires but desires come from like having like a gap in in who you are and um and like you know like Batman's been broken forever you know you, we can go off on a tangent about this but you know um it, it just it would be interesting to see like what does Bruce what does the Bruce Wayne show up as and I like the way they animated him by the or they illustrated him in this book right they made him look like uh the kind of Bruce Wayne that would be a Batman. He's not stiff, right? He's got like his hair is loose. He's wearing sunglasses at dinner. He's trying to get drunk, you know. And and you know, Lex thinks he's pouring all a little thick. It makes it, it makes his uh his his like kind of like his his senses go up as far as like whether or not like this is really what Bruce Wayne's about. But it's still interesting to watch and see. And it, in some ways, I, I, just to tease it out, some ways he appears a little Jokerish. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, since we're talking about Bruce Wayne and Batman, let, let's let's segue into into my issue. So, um, I read uh, Batman issue one twenty five, and um, that was you know it's, it's DC. It's not the black label. Uh, it's it's um, just DC, and um, the writers Chip Zdarsky, the artist is Chip Zdarsky. Yeah, man. I didn't know yeah. that. I, I love Chip Zdarsky, man. First of all, he started out as an an artist and now he's transitioned into writing books now, which I think is awesome. You know, that's yeah. interesting because I was looking at a couple of places and they had him listed as the artist for this issue. And I was like, why, why are they doing that? But maybe that's why some people just, that that's how know. he broke into the game. Like he was first an illustrator and, and like a penciler. And then eventually I guess he must have pitched some stories. Like uh, I think his first book that he did solo was Sunstone. It's about like, these like a lesbian like uh, detectives. It's kind of an interesting story. You should check that out. But anyway, I I love Chip Zdarsky. I love his stuff. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> well, I mean, at some point, I'm going to be talking about Public Domain, which is a, a new one that he's doing. I don't know if you guys heard about that, but we'll, we'll talk about that at some point um, down the line. But it, it's it's interesting too. Um, and that and, um, so and the, sex sex criminals. Yeah, mm-hmm. I haven't read that though. I heard about it. Um. <laughs> What's it called? Uh, so the artist Jorge Jimenez, colorist Tomeo Moray, and letters uh, by Clayton Cowles. Um, so basically, the reason why I picked this one up and I was excited to pick it up is because you know it seems like we all love Batman, but where where do you get back into Batman? And apparently, this is a good starting off point. Um, it's it's a segue into a new uh, a new run. You know, he's taking over. And it's it's really um, it's been it's getting high praise um, for for their approach and their, their teamwork together. And basically, the the idea is you know obviously Batman has a lot of baggage, <laughs> and you know he's getting older. He's worn he's worn down. He's lost his fortune, and um, there's there's a spree of killing of the the elite, the rich in Gotham, and he's trying to get to the bottom of it, and. Um, you know, you, you see the penguin turns out to be the, the person he, he comes out and he's the person that's killing these people. And he's basically telling everybody that if you have more than five million dollars, you need to give give some of that away or he's going to kill you. And if you give it to your if you die and your family inherits it, he's going to kill your family. So you really have to start giving it away. And, um, you know, one of the people 
that ends up yeah, I'm getting killed is uh, a friend of uh, Bruce, uh, yeah, a friend of Bruce Wayne's, um, who turned sort of from Bruce's perspective turned his life around, and you know had got married and 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 was living more of a a wholesome life instead of uh, the bachelor life that Bruce was living, and so you know you you see kind of Bruce being affected by that a little bit. Um, currently, the the Robin that's working with Batman is Tim Drake. And um, so Tim, Tim's a little sensitive to, to Batman saying, hey, you know, I, I know this kind of this, this guy was your friend. So, you know, it's got to be hard. And so they're, they're working through the case. And, and um, but from Batman's perspective, Batman's like, you know, the penguin is not that smart. He's simple. He, he knows everything that penguin's going to do. And for the most part, he's right. But then uh, there's a kind of a twist towards the end um, and um, kind of something. I, I don't know how much detail I, I should go into. Um, just go ahead. What do you guys say? I, I don't tell see. Tell a good story. I, yeah, tell a good story, man. Uh, I mean, we got yeah, so, we got listeners trying to trying to listen. <laughs> so, so basically, basically, um, Gotham's having a gala for all of the the elite, and you know, Tim Tim says to 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 Bruce or or, or Robin says to Batman, you know who would go to this event? Why are they still having it? And Batman makes a comment saying, you know, it's tough to defend this city when the city just wants to die. You know, basically, you know, they're, they're just they're obviously doing these stupid things because this, this city just doesn't want to live and I'm just trying to keep it alive. And so they're going to have this event. So he goes as Bruce Wayne and he, he talks about, you know, this is the advantage of being Bruce Wayne. You know, he does, basically he doesn't, he's hardly ever Bruce Wayne. He's always Batman and he needs to be Bruce Wayne more so that he can get access to these types of things. Um, and so he, he goes there and, um, sure enough, everything he thinks the penguin's going to do, he does. So he knew exactly where to send Robin to, to get rid of the gas. That's going to, you know, um, kill everyone. Um, but there's a twist. It turns out that the person that's supposed to be penguin is actually, uh, Clayface. Mm. And, um, but of course, Batman has a plan for that too. He's like the Elizabeth Warren of superheroes. You know, he, he he's he has like he already implanted uh, Clayface with like some type of uh, some type of chemical that it's in his clay. So stop, stop, this, stop, stop. The Elizabeth Warren of superheroes. Okay, we, yeah, we 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 kind of just left that out. Yeah, like can, can we go back for a second before you start going on about Clayface <laughs> and chemicals? What what is the Elizabeth Warren of superheroes? What does that mean? All right. I mean, you, I'm you gonna see be... Elizabeth Warren's utility belt now. <laughs> <laughs> you know how when she was running, she was like, "I got a plan for that." You know, you know, you guys don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, is that what you mean? Like just having plans for plans for plans. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He always has a plan. He has a plan for everything. Ooh, I don't know, man. That's that one's out of left field. But all right, I'll give it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so of course he has a plan for that. So. <laughs> Clayface comes and he goes to his utility belt and he pulls out this like uh, this uh, detonator device, which basically would explode Clayface like like uh, because he's implanted this chemical in Clayface. So so yeah. So the only Clayface thing decided. in Batman's utility belt is just it's just all Dave's ex machina, right? It's everything is some, <laughs> something that gets you to the next. Wait, how's he how's he have all this already set up for Clayface? Did they they talk about it? No. Okay. No. Okay. I mean, he is Batman. Like he, he yeah, does have Batman. a plan for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so basically that goes down. And, you know, Robin's trying to get people out before the building's gonna drop, and he gets shot in the neck. And 
so so now so now Batman's taking Robin to the hospital and he's getting flashbacks of Jason Todd, you know, so they, they kind of show they show the death of Jason Todd and he was like, I've been through this before, you know, and he was talking about um taking off the costumes and, and showing people who they were really and who the person was that was really defending them. And you you know, you know, he he's he's trying to rush Tim Drake to the hospital and he he's um he doesn't want to stop and Tim Drake's like, you know, you, you gotta you gotta change you, you gotta take our costumes off because otherwise, you know, they're gonna know who who I am and therefore they're gonna know who you are. So, you know, um it's just interesting to see him wrestling with that idea um of trying to hold on to his secret identity at the possible cost of of his life, of his uh partner's life. Um Anyway, it was, and then also interesting to him having those flashbacks of uh, Jason Todd and all that stuff that went down with him. Um, so then you you see him going to the hospital where Penguin is. You don't know it's Penguin at first, but you realize that he's in the in the hospital room of the Penguin, and the Penguin goes on to say about how he um he he was saying he can never get to Batman but he saved him for last. And you, what you find out is that Penguin has a terminal illness. He's going to die. And, you know, this is his last chance to get Batman. And he sets it up perfectly. So basically, right as he's telling Batman, like, I'm going to get you now, he's already called the police. So the police are outside. He he bites the cyanide tablet, kills himself as he's pressing the nurse's button. So the nurse comes in as Batman's trying to save the Penguin, which makes it look like he's killed the Penguin, but there's nowhere he could go because everybody sees everybody knows that Batman is there so basically frames Batman perfectly um so it, it's it's interesting to see that you know but you find out later Batman's like hey you know it didn't really have the effect that the penguin wanted because now the criminals actually fear him more because now they think he's actually willing to kill people um but what it does do is sets off failsafe which is Batman's contingency plan if Batman ever goes bad so they don't really talk about in this issue, but it, it's it's what is what this series is this one is going to be about. So failsafe is 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 kind of like um, the new super super not super villain, but he's he's um, nemesis of Batman. Basically, Batman built this this android to beat Batman if Batman goes bad. But so the android thinks that Batman's bad because he killed the penguin. But of course, but, Batman's got a plan for that. Just in well, case failsafe is accidentally triggered, he has a failsafe for failsafe, and it's probably yeah, the utility yeah. belt. <laughs> yeah we'll have to find out it's called kill but yeah, that's kind of <laughs> so that's that's kind of the issue it, it was it was really cool the the um the illustrations are really really solid showing showing batman fatigued and, and worn down a little bit uh or bruce wayne worn down a little bit um talking about how he's able to manipulate his mind and he only dreams when he wants to for particular um, um, intentionally to to figure out to to solve the the puzzle and and what is the puzzle you know it's it's kind of interesting to see how everything comes together the issue also has uh catwoman in there i think it's an issue of catwoman and it's kind of talking about um how she kind of steps into place and and is is dealing with um what's going on with the death of the penguin and everything now real fast first of all batman's just peak human like he can just do anything um but I was wondering, um, doesn't he, I mean, Batman 
has Doctor Leslie Tompkins, right? Doesn't he? Didn't he normally go to her when he was like injured? Wasn't that like his go-to person? I don't know. Sounds familiar, but I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I don't know. I I, I think they might have made that character into a psychologist later on down the line, or maybe on the Gotham TV show or something like that. I don't know. I just remember him always having a, a close relationship with like a doctor that I felt like he went to when uh when stuff was getting tight and he didn't want his identity to be out there. Yeah, in Gotham that was that was like his girlfriend, right? Didn't he have a relationship with In Gotham he was like a kid though. Like it was it was yeah, more he was about, a kid, yeah. It was more about uh, uh Gordon. Yeah, Commissioner Gordon, right. And and Penguin. Penguin was a big character in that show. Yeah. It wasn't that good of a show though. So, you know, we don't have to spend too much time on that. <laughs> uh, too bad. Was it on the WB? Yeah. What was it on? Yeah, it's a WB show. Mm, yeah, okay, for sure. Um, yeah. All right, guys. That sounds. Brit, cool. you want to tell oh. us about about your issue? Fear yeah, itself. So, so yeah, uh, um, my issue this week is Fear itself. It's distributed by Marvel Comics, uh, written by Matt Fraction. Uh, illustrated by Stuart Immonen. I hope I said that right. Uh, and it's a it's a mini series, and it basically follows um, the Asgardians uh, as they came to Earth. Now, this is this series came out in 2011, so it's it's a little older. But uh, Thor, the new movie, just came out, and uh, I was you know wanting to get my Thor fix. So uh, most people would probably go to you know, the God of Thunder run when, you know, they introduced Gore the God Butcher or, or you know, the, the Mighty Thor run where they introduced Lady Thor. But uh, I mm-hmm. went to this one because I just really enjoyed this run. Plus, Matt Fraction is one of my favorite writers. Uh, and it starts out with Steve Rogers and uh, Sharon Carter. And they're at the site of a recent event where, you know, Marvel heroes uh, fought and died and where a lot of innocent bystanders died and there's a huge crowd and the crowd is protesting and counter protesting uh the building of a announced project at this very same site and some people think it's it's a very sacred site they don't want anything built there some people are arguing that you know hey if they have the permits and you know they have everything legally prepared just go for it so there's a lot of back and forth and Steve is there and at this point in and at this point in Steve's run, he's not Captain America anymore. He's kind of more in his nomad, uh, nomad garb and kind of nomad mentality. And Sharon's kind of telling him like, "This is crowd is getting out of hand." And Steve's like, "Nah, it'll be okay. I, I trust in humanity." And <laughs> lo and behold, <laughs> yeah, lo and behold, Steve is disappointed and it breaks out into a huge riot. Uh, and. In the aftermath of that, you know, he's he's standing around with the Avengers and Iron Man and, you know, uh, you know, Hulk and everybody. And they're all standing around. They're like, what happened? What went wrong? And, you know, no one has any answers. No one knows what to do because there's just so much tension and angst and anxiety amongst the people. Um, And they really don't know how to dissipate that. Uh, But Tony Stark has an idea. He he and the Asgardians have come to. Uh, a resolution where they can settle in Broxton, Oklahoma, of all places. And he's going to use their presence there to start a whole lot of industry, you know, create new jobs, uh, 
new factories, new products, all these types of things, revitalize the whole area. And he asked the rest of the Avengers to come out to Broxton with him and make a huge televised announcement. So they go out there and, you know, he's shaking hands with Thor and the, and the Asgardians who have come to earth at this point. And, uh, it seems really hunky dory, but you know, above it all, Odin is watching and he is not pleased. In fact, Odin is really nervous about something, and we kind of get alluded to that uh, a little earlier in the book, where we see Red Skull's daughter break into an like an old Nazi, uh, I guess, facility, and in there is this hammer of Scad, and Scad is one of Odin's oldest foes, who's actually predates him as Allfather, and who is risen now. And looking to reclaim his spot. So going back to Broxton, Thor is asking Odin, like, you know, hey, you need to be supporting us. This is our new life. We're here on Earth. And Odin's like, are you a god or a man? <laughs> and, and and Thor very plainly, you know, is on the side of, of mankind, you know? He, he really believes in humanity. So, you know... He and Odin get into this huge confrontation. They actually get into two confrontations. The first Odin time, lays it into him, boy. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the first time, Odin just kind of sits him down. It's like, chill out. The second time, Thor is really upset. And he's like, look, we're here. We need to protect these humans. You know, they don't burn, you know, symbols to, to an effigy to you anymore. But they're still valid and they still should be protected. So he starts swinging his hammer. He starts getting lightning going. He's like, if you're not going to listen to me, Odin, I'm going to make you listen to me. And it's at that point, Odin says, okay, Mjolnir, drop. Mjolnir, boom, <laughs> falls to the ground. Thor is completely depowered. And Odin just begins to whoop his ass. Uh, <laughs> and at that point, you know, all the rest of Asgard and the Avengers are just all watching this. And, you know. <laughs> Odin's basically like, "Hey, grab Thor. We're going back to we're going back to Asgard." And they all go to the World Tree and go back to Asgard. And as they go, the Avengers are just there by themselves as they watch all of Asgard walk away. And, you know, they're kind of talking amongst themselves each other and they're like, "What happened?" And basically like the gods have left us where we have to fend for ourselves. And then they show Skad and Red Skull's daughter kind of approaching uh approaching a city and they're about to start wreaking havoc on the rest of the world. And that's kind of where it ends in issue one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think but, issue one, they also, they also show like the meteors coming in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's different meteors that uh, SCAD has, uh, has summoned from the stars that are also going to help him in his, you know, in his, campaign to reclaim his clone as all excuse me reclaim his throne as all father yeah i had a question like uh red skull's daughter right when she picks up when she realizes when she picks up the the hammer uh mm -hmm. she seems like she becomes something else somebody else because she's talking about i am still so-and-so but i'm also something else and and she, she seems like she's kind of like you know how um when apocalypse has the the um the, the horseman it, it seems kind of similar to that like she gets this power and is is now something she's still who she is but she's also something else kind of did, did you get that same sense am i correct it, it's kind of similar to you know 
uh, Jane Foster, where, you know, she's Jane Foster, but when she has Mjolnir, she's also Thor, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, I hope that's not a spoiler. I don't know if you got, have you guys seen the new movie, by the way, that's not out in theaters? No. Is that, okay. is that yeah, it? but I mean, I think it's everybody, well, <laughs> I, most people know that. Knows, I didn't know. She's yeah. in it, yeah. But it's basically, so she's Red Skull's daughter, but then when she takes the hammer of Scad, she becomes Wait. Scatty, I think, or like, you know, like the... the is Red Skull's um, daughter someone I should know? I've never even known this. The Red Skull. That was my first time meeting her. I didn't know anything about is her. Is this a character I'm supposed to know? And second of all, like, is Red Skull's condition genetic? Why, uh, why does she look like she, that? She, she still has the Red Skull uh, features and everything like that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I haven't read a lot of Red Skull's daughter. I mean, I've seen her pop up and stuff, but I don't really think too much about it. You know, it's like this. Like an extra character, you know. Is she good? Is um, she bad? Like, what, what's her? What's her? Oh, she's clearly evil, and she clearly is intended on uh, following through on all her father's like plans for world domination. And, and just, just real quick, Red Skull, because like, I, I, it's been a long time for me. It, it, does he have any power? He's basically uh, like Steve Rogers, like you know, just superhuman okay. strength, okay. power, you know, that sort of stuff. Okay. You know. Okay. Same, same he's also like soldier soldier serum. Yeah, you know, they, so. yeah, yeah. The Nazis did yeah. it, and that's but they obviously didn't have the same exact formula, so that's why he, that's how he ended up the way he is because of that, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, but um, no, I thought that was a really great story. You know, just talking about uh, just different groups of people being the outsider. Um, you know, like. Obviously, the Asgardians were 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 welcome to Earth, and you know that was a great thing. But there's a really small story in there where there's a, just a regular family, and they pack up and move out of Broxton because they yeah, know that yeah, if superheroes are here, that you know that always follows up with like superhero battles, and they're like, we need to get out of here because we don't know it's unpredictable. And there's another family who's like, well, this is our home. You know, and it really talks, drives that home about like, you know, home and, and being angsty and in a time where there's strife, where can you find solitude? Where can you find solace? Um, and it goes on. I've actually read the entire series, but I feel like this is just, it's a good teaser for, you know, what the series is. But also probably about like, you know, big corporations coming to town, bringing jobs, but at what cost, you know, what, you know, yeah. how's that going to change your, your home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. You know, obviously Tony's a big industrialist. You know, he has a big ideas for everyone else's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whether it be your home, your 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 neighborhood, you know, whatever. You know, Tony's got a Tony's got a plan for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, that's our show. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at issues.on.issues. YouTube at Issues on Issues and Twitter at Comics underscore Issues. We'd love to hear from you. So email us at comics at brilliance.io. Please like, share and subscribe to our show to continue the conversation. This podcast was edited by Britt. Special thanks to him for putting this all together. Here's a sneak peek of next week's episode. And it makes him more efficient, makes him more deadly, like he's colder, like he doesn't care. Tokyo Ghost.
by Rick Remender, Image Comics. How does that happen? Yeah, no one knows. That's the first question everybody asks. Like, yo, man, how'd you get out? And he's like, yeah, don't worry about that. The Joker by Brian Azzarello, DC Black Label. He just kind of just gets further and further caught up in this uh, world. But you don't really know, is he a good guy, a bad guy? What role does he play? A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, Rick Remender, Image Comics. But it is part of the learned history of being Black in America. And you know, that's highlighted by things like the Tuskegee experiment. And our main topic, Dark Blood by LaToya Morgan, Boom Studios. 